2: Hello, everybody. I was scratching
3: it. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> C- hurry, up, hurry up, JB. Hurry up, JB. Hurry up, JB. And then as soon as I start talking, as soon as I start talking. Right. I'm going to leave that in, actually, because that's a, a huh? w- really nice insight for the listener to uh, how hard this is. Hello, yeah, everyone. picking his nose. Here we go. Like in a <laughs> I was scratching it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Pilot Episodes, your infrequent flying podcast. As always, I'm joined by our three aviators, so I'll go round accordingly. Uh, Goddard, how are you? I'm very fine, JB. Now, Goddard, Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, i.e. where we've been, and we'll get to that in a minute, but you've been somewhere else. You've been to hybrid air vehicles, one of my personal favourite places. Well, well, So
4: I I didn't go there, but (gasps) I did talk to them, uh, the Airlander people, at the um, DSEI, the Defence Exhibition, um, at XL in London, which, I tell you what, I've never been to this before, was flipping amazing. Now, hang
3: on. Is that, is that otherwise known as the London Arms Fair?
4: <laughs> if you happen to be the mayor of London, yes,
3: possibly. Is that what uh, all the hubbub was about in on on Twitter? Yes. Oh, as soon as I saw hub- hubbub, all I could think of is, where do I buy tickets for this? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm surprised you weren't there with your handler. Yeah, well, quite. I mean, surely
4: that's the place and for you. There were quite a lot of people there. Without handlers. Oh, really? Taking I... photos of things. So there what... was Honestly, if you want to buy a helicopter, there was a massive Leonardo um, helicopter sat in the middle of the room. Uh, I say middle of the room. These massive hangars, uh, tanks. Um, Parky, you would have loved the, the various guns that were around there. Scuba gear. The World War scuba Two gear. guns? Uh. Yeah, I, I didn't see the World War Two guns with patina. Probably um... not, though. And, and if I they were. You'd
5: have probably bought them way overpriced.
3: Uh, and uh, and I and I did a little speech. So okay, oh that that is exciting. Um, what were your takeaways you then do? from just to yourself? Uh,
4: yeah, I had a good word with myself in the corner of the <laughs> Navy uh, theatre that I gave the presentation with my Britney Boom mic on.
5: I mean
3: skirt on as well. Yes.
4: So um shiny boots. It, uh, it was the Royal Air Force number six.
3: <laughs> so what did you learn from dsi what what give me a couple of tips a couple of takeaways a
4: couple of takeaways um i thought the first sea lord who was my warm act um was very good on his the the navy relationship with the royal air force Mm -hmm. which as dunk will tell you maybe wasn't so good back in the joint harrier days but um i think it's flipping brilliant now so, uh, you know, he majored on that, which is really cool to see. Um, other things was just how much tech there is around. There was a, a, a stand. I can't, unfortunately, I can't remember the company. But the guy was demoing this thing, and it was full minority report. Wow. Sliding stuff on, on glass and everything <laughs> like that. Computer stuff. Uh, amazing.
5: Awesome. Did you could, tell a
4: joke? Did, did I tell a joke? In my in, I, I told a couple. Give us
5: the, give us the best one.
4: <laughs> um, well it was more of a quip about a pilot, with, I, I put up a picture and it, it had a F-35 pilot looking out of his cockpit with a beard and I oh, did ooh. say two weeks ago that was a Royal Navy pilot but this week that could be either, that's Ta- how I joined
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. Say, I'll talk about not, knowing not your really crowd eh? Hey?
4: not a titter <laughs> you're in audience. a
2: funny mood tonight Mason <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> no one even looked up
3: oh dear <laughs> Well, well, that little that, that little quip then there is, is from Porky. Parky, how are you, mate?
2: All good, thanks, JB. Now, are, th- good.
3: are things quieting the- quietening down on the Spitfire front? All this bad weather and whatnot.
2: No, uh, well, yeah, I have had a few days off, but I'm just about to start tomorrow another five day thrunge Ooh. at headquarters. So Which actually- reminds
4: me, we haven't podded since it happened, have we?
3: What happened? What, what, what happened? Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, amazing stuff. I mean, I've already congratulated you before, but i congratulate you on there. Congratulations, mate. A thousand hours in a Spitfire.
6: There you go. Yeah, which, yeah,
4: which yeah. if you know Parky and you've ever flown with him, means 450 hours and 550 for Parky when he does his
2: logbook. book. Uh. <laughs> not, not true. Always underselling the spit because then you'd end up getting more hours at the end of the year on BBMF. You always wanted to be tickling the late, you know, the least hours. It's an old... And then Mason would let you fly P7 again. <laughs> Genius. The thing is, uh, is, is I don't that, think, think Parky's primed, if you primed
5: for this. Parky's prime for this because he and I traveled down to uh, the aircraft carrier together. And funnily enough, God, I said exactly the same thing. <laughs> and after a long, long period of bickering, he came up with that. So he's primed with his excuse, which, you know, we all know is just an excuse.
3: So, drop- no
5: Papaki, it, it is brilliant, mate. Well done. 1,000 hours in a cracking achievement.
4: <laughs> you it have joined. It's been amazing. Do you, remember, do you know how many times I've got 1,000 hours? None. That's None. right.
3: <laughs> exactly, yeah. You've got 1,000
4: hours
7: <laughs> yeah, at a
3: desk, mate. we did.
7: You
2: chose a career, goddess.
3: Yeah.
4: Look
2: where it got you.
3: Exactly. I get to wear microphones
4: and speak to people. Exactly. So, Britney Spears, so all, all those jokes. jokes.
3: <laughs> so, what are we on now, Parky? We've got a thousand hours in what? Uh,
2: I've got a thousand hours I, I'm Phantom, just going to go get me coat. Tornado F3, uh, Hawk with the Reds, uh, <laughs> Typhoon, and now Spitfire.
3: Yeah. Yeah, see, we give, we give you a, an uh, an awful lot of uh, banter for looking a bit um, a bit older, but actually, when you put all those hours in context, you look remarkably young. Yeah, well, no, let's not go
5: too far, JB. How did, he, look how did he fit Young? Yeah. How Just did he fit all podcast, in? Anyway, we
3: thought he was dead.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
5: it,
2: it is remarkable, gonna, I'm and I with I that, do I have permission to tweet that picture? Yeah. yeah go for it i like yeah. it yeah. it does look like i'm in a coffin i accept that yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah it looks like it's the morning period where people come and view the body
2: yeah,
4: yeah. well a cracking
2: expensive coffin yeah
4: anyway it's but i was going to be complimentary there it's saying you must be you are you're the only person on the planet with that collection of ours, right must be
2: well yeah i mean i guess in, in those aircrafts you know some mates probably got 1,000 of hours on lots of other stuff
4: there, haven't they? Well, I wouldn't be sure that a 1,000 on that, you know, even, what was that, five things, four things, five things? Five. Not that you're counting. Um, five things well, plus F-16 hours. 500 on an F-16,
2: but, you know. Yeah, oh, I've got more
4: nice. than you on that. Small <laughs> victories, got yeah. a small victories. Uh, not as experienced as me on the F-16, then, <laughs> <laughs> You see, I, I thought
5: that was another... I thought that was another, another case of you had 492, and again you sharp penciled <laughs> it up to 500 yeah. and a half. <laughs> uh,
2: how many goddesses? Come on.
4: Well, I tell you the worst thing that I've got in my logbook, because of Mason, I've got 99 hours bit fire.
5: Really?
1: Oh.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad luck.
5: And you've got about
2: 999 Harrier, and then how 980. many? 980.
4: Uh, I think it was five hundred and eighty.
3: Imagine that being three hours away from being an elite pilot. Uh, anyway, <laughs> 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 um, that's why. Anyway. a rubber desk, Johnny. And last but not least, Dunk. Desk, now, Dunk, you look like you're well from your WhatsApp messages. It looks like you're re- like your
2: weirdo.
3: Well, no, it looks like he's retraining on the same scheme as some young offender. You've been doing patios <laughs> and bricklaying and all sorts. Well, be an old offender,
5: wouldn't it? In that? Uh, yeah, but um, turning your life but, yeah. around. Yeah, I've, I haven't been doing any aviating. I've been sort of joining Goddes to be honest, uh, in terms of uh, you know not doing very much flying at all. But, um, but I have. For, I've done two things. So Goddard's uh, hilarious joke um, did point uh, point at the fact that the Royal Air Force can now wear a beard. I was about to ask like. about
3: this. So why? why why have they decided that this is a good idea?
5: Well. I'll tell you, because um, I had to, I rang up the station warrant officer to make sure that all was well. Um, and actually, before we go any further, we should say that the reason I'm wearing a beard is actually because of Air Commodore oh Godfrey, who said when we were sort of, I was on leave and I was a bit bearded going down to the ship. And he said, oh, you can keep a beard as of next week, which I hadn't envied at all. Yeah. So um, I, he said, go on, keep it. So I went, all right, I will. So the so name- his fault. So the navy have always had beards. Navy have, army haven't. Now the reason that the air force have done it. So I, I rang up the station warrant officer to say, please could I wear a beard to work? And uh, do you wear one? Not really sure. Do you do you wear a beard? Not really. <laughs> I guess so. Is it, it, is, it a,
2: is it a false one then? It comes off, when I take my glasses off.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say for any for for the listener. Um, just to describe Dunk, he looks very much like Brian Blessed in Flash uh, <laughs> <Classic Gorge.
5: laughs>
4: of That was my best Brian Blessed. Impression. Okay. <laughs> rubbish,
3: it was rubbish, wasn't
2: it? Sorry, so why have they done it? Pit stop, the Ant Hill mob. You look like one of them.
5: <laughs> <laughs> right, but the idea, right, just to get the reason out is when I rang the warrant officer, I said, what do you think about it? And she said... Um, I think it's great. It's to promote inclusivity oh, up. Uh, across all cultures, and therefore, if one culture can grow a beard, why shouldn't everyone be able to grow a beard? But the thing for me is, it means that I don't have to shave every day, which oh. is
4: great. and 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 there's recruiting in there as well because the uh, although I think it might be dying out these days, but the trend is to be bearded. Um, uh, you know, a lot of yeah, the time. but
3: wh- I and, mean, where uh, are we recruiting from? Uh, coffee shops? Are, are we looking for baristas to fly <laughs> helicopters?
4: A baristas could be those um, your hipsters,
3: Hipster <laughs> helicopter dudes. Can you imagine? Oh God! Do you know what? It reminds me of when um, the police allowed sleeve 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 tattoos I'm, I'm, I'm against that and actually I'm against anything which is not really traditional I'm, I'm okay with making exceptions for people but on the whole I think traditions are a good thing we should you like a tweed jacket don't you I've got several tweed jackets actually exactly
4: exactly yeah. he, he was head to toe in tweed on Saturday night wasn't
3: it? yep that's pretty much that's pretty much it that's pretty much it plus, have you got a plus four have you got a tweed plus four what's a oh um, no I don't I wouldn't mind well, what come one come on yeah, that's traditional.
2: It is. Well, it's it time I see you. I want to see you in your plus down.
3: four. What's that?
2: Do you, have to, do you have to trim it, or can you turn it into a great big bushy one?
5: <laughs> no, you do have to trim it. I can't remember what the how rules I, are, but how, there is a there is a minimum and a maximum. So you have a two week growing period uh, that you're allowed. And if you're a you know if you were goddess, for instance, <laughs> and you can't grow a beard, then after two weeks you have to shave it off
4: again. Um, hang on, hang on, uh, hang on. Out of the four of us. Around here, you picked me as the person who couldn't grow a beard. Yeah, I think
2: I think there is a more obvious candidate. <laughs> uh, it's JB.
3: Yes, it is me. Well, is I, it? Yeah. Uh, Isn't there serious reasons why you, the army can't grow beards? Is it something to do with respirators? Have I made that up? Yeah, you made that up.
5: I'm pretty sure we all have to wear respirators. It's Not just the army that survives, is it? They've <laughs> gasped us. Oh, we've lost the navy and the air force. Look, it's, it's all right. The air army, air army are okay. I'm pretty sure the there's a good reason
3: for it. I'm going to have to Google this. I'm going to have to Google it. Um,
2: <laughs> either... They can't work as well with a beard, though. Surely. What a respirator. It'd be all right. I think you're doomed, Mason. If you're in your tutor and there's chemical weapons around, you're for it
5: yeah not a tutor, it's a brief it's a beefy prefect uh, oh
2: right <laughs> <laughs> oh, that suits the beard yeah, yeah. all right so oh, the uh, so this
5: week just to um to get to sort of move away from bricklaying and young offenders it was um i've been doing um i've been doing a bit of grammar school actually for the prefect so the last couple of weeks which is very interesting it's a uh, I, although I haven't flown it in this uh, this couple of weeks, it's uh, a really nice little aeroplane and I'm very excited about flying it.
4: Just uh, for people who don't know what a Prefect is, just describe it, Dunk.
5: Um, so it is a, um, uh, it's a low wing monoplane, it's a side by side trainer, it's a turboprop, it's got about 40 horsepower, which means it's and it's got retractable undercarriage. So it's probably what the well, it almost certainly is the most advanced elementary trainer the royal air force has ever had um, so it's a carbon fiber machine um, it cruises at uh between 180 and 210 knots it's got a max speed of 240 goes up like a dingbat um, and it's fully aerobatic as you'd expect um, it's and it's fully glass cockpit so what it's doing is it will prepare um, those uh fledgling students those fledgling pilots that that we train uh for glass cockpit operations so right from the get go now you know the training system is as up to speed as it can be because they'll go um prefect uh with the glass cockpit onto Texan with head up display and glass cockpit uh, and then onto Hawk T2 uh followed by either Typhoon or by um uh, uh, by F-35, but equally if they go different routes, then of course all the multi-engine and rotary platforms uh, are all that way as well, so um, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really good aeroplane to have and it sort of brings the whole of the Air Force system uh, bang up to date
2: Well, well most won't make it because they'll get chopped by you Dunk, So <laughs>
5: <laughs> Look at that, flight lieutenant skull crusher.
4: Oh, I picked up my flight
5: lieutenant tabs today, I can't tell you how delighted I was do you did not
4: use old ones that you had in the drawer that were now white? I've
5: been a squadron leader for okay. so long that uh, I don't I, I have any. I could have
2: lent you a few, Dunk. If I'd given you a few.
5: Oof. Oh yeah, I suppose so. I didn't yeah. think of that. Yours are really. Bouncers, yours are knackered were, though, aren't they?
2: they hey, speaking
4: knackered. speaking yeah. of head-up displays, did you? This is probably a podcast in itself, so we'll only briefly mention it. But did you guys watch the ITV Real Top Gun Fighter Pilot? Um, yes. Programs? I have I will not seen. I've tweeted yeah, I a it. lot about this. What did you think, Parky? Ah, oh, well,
2: that's, that's not a good sign. No, it was going It held my interest. Um, that's tricky. You know, yeah. I, I just, it, they sort of just kept flipping between sort of Valley and then the, the top. I was surprised how they so wanted to go F-35 Lightning and not Typhoon. It kind of... Maybe that's, you know, how they sold it to make the story work better. But, I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, they're a good bunch, and you know they, they got there. What what did you think?
4: I thought it was really good. Um, you know, I was a bit worried in the first five minutes, but actually the story that they put together, I was I, I was a bit, I thought it was a bit matey to start with. I mean, Skullcrusher would have never had that in his aeroplane with a with uh, a student. <laughs> but I tell you, the brilliant thing was that um, it's you know it the. Traditions are all still there, but the kit has got so much better. How I've not flown in a Hawk T two. I mean, don't you have a million times? How good is that aeroplane?
3: Um, I actually mean, saw. I yeah. actually saw two of them today flying over the Conway River. Uh, uh, well, you know the Hawk
5: T one. You T1 saw both
2: was... ones, right? <laughs> <laughs>
5: uh, Hawk T one was always a brilliant aeroplane, um, and. The T2, again, sort of builds on that with the avionics it's got and uh, synthetic radar and threat emulation. Um, it's got so much stuff that prepares the boys and girls to, to go onwards to Typhoon and F-35. But just to go back to what you were saying, God, is that the, so I was teaching there when the guys on the program um, were were there. Um, and I think, you know, I don't th- think I'm wrong in saying that actually it's the other way around. The majority of guys want to go Typhoon because they perceive that as more um, there'll be more flying Rather than more simulation, Um, and it's more sort of pure flying. So everyone going through is the same as we always were, because you know you you just want to fly the aeroplane. You you know you're not joining really to go. I want to be a systems operator. You want to be a fighter pilot, um, and they want to fly. Uh, And so that sort that pervades all the way through you know the guys that are at that stage of training that typhoon is the way to go and you know having been lucky enough to be involved in you know both typhoon and f-35 in in, you know a small way but to to be able to go and 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 see that and see what it does i do whenever i could talk to the guys and say you know you, you you really should consider f-35 because it's like a spaceship it's great so um, so is you know, like
3: bias against going to f-35 because of the because there's less flying involved
5: yeah uh, I mean t- in a nutshell yeah wow there's a I, lot I, of emulation like-
3: uh,
4: and, right. Yeah, but they're, I mean they're, they're still fragged for you know pretty much the same amount of flying as a uh, as a typhoon pilot, and it's interesting that you know that there is that perception. I guess um, I've just if anyone gets a chance, have a look at the thread that I put on Twitter this evening about F thirty five, and I'm comparing old school airplanes, you know, whether it's Harrier Jaguar, um, whatever, back in the day. As your Nokia 3310 mobile phone and an F-35 as an iPhone. I mean, that's the difference. So, that... uh, Whether you're Typhoon or F-35, when it comes to doing a mission, you are operating that platform. You're not particularly flying it. You are operating that platform. So... Um, you know, both give huge levels of situational awareness, but F thirty five is just unbelievable with the picture on that massive double iPad screen that the uh, the pilots get in there. I mentioned in the speech at DSCR yesterday, it was about you know, well, I won't bore you with the uh, the particular bit about decision making. Decision making, but it is Turn a straight fact, straight <laughs> fact that the pilot in the F thirty five has more situational awareness than any other pilot in history, clearly apart from Parky in the F-4. Mm. But, I mean, it, it's straight fact. So, uh, just an interesting view. But I guess when you're going through Valley, you are just getting to grips with still flying an aeroplane, aren't you, as well, well as operating I've
3: it? I've just got a quick question, right? You, you said something right at the start. You felt the show was a bit matey. What does that mean? Well, I
4: think it was uh,
3: – the way they put it across, and,
4: <clears throat> you know, maybe it is um, a few years removed from – the training system now about 30 years removed from the training system but it was um it was it was quite formal yet in the early they were they were taking these guys and it might have been sort of bigged up for the television but Mm. they were taking these guys flying and instructor was calling the student mate student was calling the instructor mate yeah. Um, and uh, it just surprised me. Well, I, here's, I, here's an
5: example for you. Here's an example. Okay, okay, so when I went through basic training on the Tucano RAF Cranwell, uh, we were all dragged in. Uh, so there's 12 of us on the course. We were all dragged in by our course commander, who was a guy called Buster Crab with a great big handlebar mustache. Um, and he then summer he, he, he effectively... Um, then gave us a massive telling off and said, right, you know, this is just out of order. He said, you will call all instructors, sir, in the air. There is a mark of respect, and you are to respect that. So he said, you, you, you know, I don't care what you call me on the ground, but in the air, you call me, sir. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the guys on the course, a guy called Craig Brown, who we called Haggis, who was a Glaswegian, who sadly didn't make it through the course. But um, after, Buster, after, after Buster had said, uh, you know, you can call me whatever you want on the ground, but you call me, sir, in the air, I'd have to bleep this out. He went, all right, beep. <laughs> we <laughs> called him the rudest name that you could possibly think of, and uh, at which point there was absolute silence, followed by we all fell about laughing. And to his credit, so did Buster. But the point is that we used. Did that student
2: to- get chopped though? Yes, he did. He's buried under the patio yeah, at
5: Cranwell. Did. But, um, you know, the point is that actually when we went through flying training, your
3: instructor in the air was always Sir. Hang on. I'm confused. Um, I'd assumed your instructor in the air and on the ground would be Sir. Why aren't they Sir all the time? Be the,
5: you're the same rank. So on the ground, you're the same rank. And so I guess tradition is you, you don't have to call someone of the same rank Sir. But in the air, there is then that
3: hierarchy within the right, air. I'm, I'm... I'm even more confused now. So you've got a trainee pl- pilot. Uh, what rank are you, Dunk? Uh, well, now I'm a squadron leader. Right. No, so you're you... not. I'm about no, not. to become a flight lieutenant, which I can't wait for. Right. So when you get these new guys in, they're all flight lieutenants? Yeah. Why is that? I don't
5: understand that. Why, why aren't the instructors... But some of them are flying officers, but if they've been through university, very often they'll come out because some of them will have adversaries, which means you're effectively an officer as you go through university and they come out the end and they're already a flight lieutenant. Yeah, but but I even, even
4: if they're not... JB, just consider what you're saying here. Are you saying that Dunk should be an air commodore?
3: Well, he should be more than a flight lieutenant, right? Flight like Lieutenant Phil,
2: <laughs> <laughs> JB. I the, was the J- only a flight lieutenant for thirty-two years. Really? Yeah. I'm yeah. Co- this this is baffling to me. I yeah. thought you. I stormed through those ranks. Hang on, Parky. Did you do thirty-two years? I did thirty-five years. I was going to say. So you
5: must well, have well, been just a... gone up three years in the space of oh, 20, right. twenty seconds. Oh, uh, Parky, oh, how many did you do? Thirty-eight years.
4: How many do you do now? 42 no, no, years. I, was, I was a pilot. I know he was a, he was a pilot I've, I've got him now. I've got him now. So
2: the, but there must be. Okay, okay. So there must be seniority yeah, eight, within the ranks, then.
3: There must be grades of rank or seniority within the ranks. Well, there is, but it, you don't
5: show it. Like, you don't have a pip for, you know, when you get to a senior position on top of
3: your rank. Huh. That this baffles me, it completely baffles me, right, so the point is you have to call your instructor sir in the air, though well, we did, you
5: don't anymore, clearly, and that was the point Goddard was making. It all seemed a bit matey did, were, yeah.
4: you, uh, now to be fair I think you know there was a it, there was a lot made of the fact that this was the first time the guy these guys were going flying in a in a hawk and Obviously, they're on TV at that particular time, so there was a lot of excitement around the place. But actually, as you got past that first five minutes and into the swing of it, it was it, it was more formal because you could see the students working really, really hard, um, as always at Valley, trying to uh, it, you know trying to fly around the place and uh, and. So, don't do you make your students call you sir? <laughs> no, all right, I can't believe that the dogs making weird noises
3: that. out the back. I don't like it one bit. Anyway. Oh, right. Well, that, that's, that's fascinating. I've learned a lot in the last, uh, what, 10 minutes about ranks. So there you go.
5: Well, it's interesting that we were, you know, we were supposed to. We 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 only have an hour tonight, don't we? And we said, right, we'll get straight into it. We want to talk about the aircraft carrier because we did some stuff down there. We need to talk <laughs> yeah, about no, what yeah. we went and did. We went on an effectively, we've just talked about
3: RC other stuff for, yeah. for the, the last well, 35 minutes. Let's do that because um, we can't, you know, we can't not talk about it for any longer We went on an aircraft carrier, and that was pretty, pretty amazing stuff. So you you guys have all been on an aircraft carrier before. I think maybe Parky hasn't. Uh,
2: Well, I went on the... uh, I've been on an American one, the Saratoga or something, back in the day when I was on Phantoms. We got helicoptered in from Cyprus, but that was the... uh, Oh, yeah, and I've been on the... Is it the illustrious, Dunk? The one that we were talking about in Malta? Uh, Yeah, it
5: could be illustrious or Ark Royal.
2: Yeah, one of those. So yeah, so I, I have set foot, but only for about a couple of hours at a time. Not but you've not flown off one, have you? Or flown one? Correct. Yeah. So,
3: what were your initial? What were your initial takeaways?
2: The whole, the way the thing was
3: operating. Hang on, hang on, boys, hang Han, getting... on, Sorry, you've you, uh, you've all cut out. So I'll start again. So um, what were what were your what were your in, initial impressions? <laughs> it's you, Are we on now? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Sorry, I, I, you, that I, is. It, it all froze. So I'll go with Parky first. What were your initial impressions? I was, uh, Yeah, blown
2: away by it. It was awesome. Uh, you know, just it was it was huge it was uh, you know just the, the the fact that somebody could a team could build that thing design it it was you know getting prepped to go away so you know we saw a bit of the logistics as they were loading everything on board but just you know the sheer scale the size you know we had an amazing tour saw everything i think you know pretty much and uh you know wow what a what a impressive impressive bit of uh, of war machine
3: yeah i, I couldn't agree more I, I think the more you think about it the more impressive it gets When you cons- like you said when you consider the detail of how they designed it and then putting it together and making sure, sure it all, all works it's, it's an astonishing thing
5: yeah I mean I still, I still don't fact.
3: know how they float
5: <laughs> so the um uh, Invincible class carriers which was illustrious Invincible and Ark Royal were around about 600 uh, feet long um And this was just shy of a 1,000 feet long, which, you know, you go, oh, that's only 400 feet more. But, you you know, you think of the scale in terms of the fact that it's a massive ship anyway to have, you know, that uh, effectively 40% more, you know, hanging out the back and uh, also the width of it as well. It was, you know, the just up until the centre line of the, the runway, I think they said, didn't they, was the whole width of the Invincible class carrier. And that was just up to the centre line. It was just enormous. You get, you, get not,
4: you get not a vague idea of the size of it, wouldn't you? We were talking about this JB on board when we saw the uh, the Queen Elizabeth rugby team about to do a bit of touch on the flight deck. Um, if you got three rugby or football pitches side by side, you know, go down your local park, if you've got something that big, that's <laughs> the size of the... Just the uh, the surface of the uh, the flight deck but then that doesn't give you any idea that you know it was funny watching JB walk sideways in the middle of the uh, the deck just because of how flipping high up you are
3: oh god on the side of this all- thing tell you what i could not serve on that thing the the heights it feels like you're in constant danger so we walk, like, we <laughs> walked up the ramp as i'm not having this one bit it's just it, it, it was too high and then it's little things when when you descend down the steps towards the edge of the carrier you stand on a grate and I don't know how... it Was it 40 foot below and there's, and there's some water? I'm like, this is... This is god-awful. So, I, I could...
5: Well, you know, so, that you know, we all went on the carrier and, uh, you know, by a, a fairly long stretch, rugby-playing JB sort of towers above us and is, uh, you know, he's a fairly big unit. Uh, and yet, it was very interesting. I think I tweeted... Uh, a photo of him looking decidedly oh, worried. Not interested in us grinning on the ramp. You <laughs> normally can't
3: stop him talking. Yet yeah, he was quiet all the way. I through, was wasn't advancing up that ramp about an inch at a time, just a little bit, a little <laughs> bit, a little bit. A little bit. It's, on the, it's, it's just a sheer drop, isn't it? And it but it's, it's okay because the contractors told me there were some nets. I'm like, I, I don't want to ever meet those. I don't want to see the nets. Not interested.
5: Well, right. So imagine, JB, you know, operating an aeroplane. So the aeroplanes will be chained down in heavy seas, but they'll still be operating. They'll be chained down in heavy seas. And the boys that the work, they're called the, the chalkheads, that, that work the aeroplanes and marshal the aeroplanes, as well as the engineers, will be on the flight oh, deck in that weather in those seas, you know, marshalling aeroplanes and the complexity of that carrier and having both helicopters and fast air on there, getting them on and off. I mean, oh, it is huge. And you, not just the fact that, you know, those guys are working in those conditions. I, I have to say, to see it and and, and have had the privilege of operating um, on a carrier and see it and being part of that is just it's awe-inspiring to yeah. see
3: well i mean we there's, there's,
4: we there's saw videos it, out there jb that you can see where the guys have to i've dunks mentioned it before where you have to follow the marshallers you you absolutely follow what they're telling you to do and it might be depending on where the nose wheel is on your airplane that your cockpit's hanging over the edge of that thing
3: yeah i i mean we saw it you know on a nice, bright, sunny day uh, on the deck, and it was all quite jovial. But you sort of start to understand why it's so important that these people are as professional as they are. It's a dangerous place. It's a really dangerous place. Uh, and that's why so
4: so few navies in the world can operate aircraft carriers successfully. Um, just on the size thing, it's interesting, you know, uh, um, Parky called it a war machine there. But, JB, what, what do you think as far as, far as a sort of, uh, you know, extension a manifestation of global britain when that thing rolls into a port somewhere around the world it's pretty impressive right
3: Uh, well i mean it's not it won't just be that it'll be a destroyer it'll be a fleet replenishment um ship it'll be it'll be be all it'll be all sorts of things yeah it's it's so big that you don't appreciate the size i mean you, you stand on that deck and you have nothing to compare it to it it dwarfs everything around it
2: i i was surprised how big the the hangar was you know that and obviously you've got the, i guess is it we call it the lift you know you can get a couple of f35s can you or three of them up and down at the same time and they then just wheel into the hangar but that space you know the i guess the deck below you know it was as big almost as, as the the space above and that with 35 f f35s inside it would just look awesome that it would be. Extraordinary when that thing is heaving with helicopters and jets. It will be amazing.
5: But you have to think, right, so I'm going to sort of hark back to uh, someone that we've spoken about many times uh, on the podcast, which is uh, Eric Winkle Brown um, and his exploits. So, you know, the most prolific uh, test pilot of all time. Uh, And he started um, on um, uh, aircraft carriers. And the first carrier that he served on, he told me, was a converted German banana boat where they just chopped... The top of it, um, and that it didn't have any superstructure. It was just a flat surface on the top, and they had martlets, and I think he said they had six, maybe eight martlets. Um, which were tied down to the the back of it. And that's where they engineered the (laughs) aeroplanes. You know, they didn't have any lifts, they didn't have any of that. So what are we talking, sort of 70 or 80 years ago, that's where we were. And now we're in a situation where they have not only – I mean, as you said, Park, you know, the – the logistics of it you think well you can't just put 35 f-35s on there (laughs) 35 f-35s but um and and you know a number of helicopters you've got to be able to engineer them so you've got to have um you know engine rooms where you can go and service engines take them out put them in cranes everything yeah everything to to completely be self-sufficient at sea um and as you know, we suffered previously with the carrier that we had because as aircraft were developed, they didn't develop them with the carrier in mind, and therefore sometimes, so for instance, I can't remember the exact details, but I can't remember if it was a Chinook or a Seeking, but you couldn't take the rotor head off or you couldn't fit it in the hangar you know- of the illustrious class. So, the, you know, the, the engineering uh, problems that they had were huge, whereas this, you know, Everything fits in and everything is thought about. Yeah.
2: Do they, you oh, Dunk, do they generally, you know, if you weren't flying for a week, for example, would you generally put the aircraft downstairs, if you know what I mean, rather than let them sit out in the sort of the lashing rain and the, you know, the, the sea spray and stuff like that?
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they might, if they didn't have room for whatever reason, uh, you know, and that, that may have been the case previously, then they would just chain them down on deck.
2: Mm. But they'd like to try and get them, you know, make, it's a bit like, you know, we hang around typhoons, didn't we? You know, every night you wheel them in just so they don't get
5: yeah, full of yeah.
2: water. Kind of thing. Yeah,
4: yeah, but, yeah. And that's not even salt water.
2: To, I seem to recall the the Falklands, you know, the task force, weren't, weren't the Harriers just left outside when they sailed down? Maybe they were so full, you know, the, the, the ships. No, t- it's
4: t- exactly t- what it is. It, it was so full. And that's the other aspect, isn't it? Is you're not just, don't talk through the difficulties of operating a flight deck. You're also sailing that massive ship around the place, so whether it's engine rooms, whether it's the galley, the stores that you talked about, uh, the sailors doing their jobs. With the, I mean, we saw we went past where they uh, they kept the slightly big ropes to tie up an aircraft carrier <laughs> along the uh, alongside there. Yeah. All of these sort of things, no, you know, no. so the 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 coordination between, and this is what we get into, isn't it? With uh, with the guys we interviewed up in Fly Cove um the coordination between the flying aspect and the sailing the navy aspect of it is pretty amazing
3: yeah that is amazing and do you know that really hit home to me because i'd never really thought of how an aircraft carrier all the bits are comprised but effectively you've got the captain in you know the sailing and all that and um it, it sounds a little bit like um sounds a little bit disrespectful almost but what you've got in the crew is pe- basically people managing the facility. And then the warfighting is done effectively by the people that, man- people that manage the aircraft. And then you've got another layer of people coming on who are the battle staff, who then manage all the other ships, including the aircraft carrier, from the aircraft carrier. It's not just simply you have a crew and that's it.
5: Yeah, and I think – so just, you know, help me out if I get these numbers wrong, boys, because I'm sure is, or probably you, Park, as well, will remember these. But it was – the crew on board was 800, I think they said. Yes. 800 was your your ship's company. And then when they embarked, um, both Fast and Rotary Air on board – um, as well as the you, you know i guess they'd call that the carrier air group and all the the people that support that that then went up to 1500 is that right Fifteen hundred. yeah
4: yeah, that, it was yeah. 1500. so
5: 800 to 15 so you now got 1500 people on board that thing um everything we were lucky enough to have lunch in the wardroom uh which again i just you know it it brought back the, the sounds and the smells of the carrier are exactly the same as as when uh, I was on board Illustrious. And uh, and there's there's something sort of weirdly comforting about that. And you sort of, you go, oh, yeah, I've, I, I remember this. It sort of feels homely almost. I don't know if, you know, because clearly you guys hadn't been on it before. I don't know what your impressions of it was. But, you know, even so you have the stewards there that service. And the way of life at sea is, again, just a very different it's very difficult to explain but it's a very different way of life and uh it's it's fascinating to see
3: now uh, you just mentioned the crew let's see if you're paying attention what size because we did ask this what size is the crew on something like a nimitz class carrier just to put it into perspective see, i think
2: that was about five thousand or something was yeah. it yeah
4: yeah, yeah with, the, with the air wing embarked. So it's about two and a half, three thousand without the air wing, and then you put another yeah. couple of thousand on with the uh, with the air wing. Exactly. Unbelievable. A ship of the same size.
3: Yeah. I mean, what we're looking at there is just the effects of automation and building a carrier from scratch.
4: Yeah. Oh, I think you're exactly right.
5: Now, there this is... This is a little bit bigger, but not much, is it? Yeah, no, 70,000 no, to 90,000, something like that. Has it, it yeah. got more draft or something?
4: Is that the floaty bit? I think so. It floats your yeah, <laughs> it's
5: just the, is very, the cool. now. Here is something which tell, you can you tell I'm it in carrier-enabled is...
3: power projection. In
4: yeah. the, in the sort <laughs> of defense.
3: Now here is something which you're going to find completely boring, right? But I found utterly fascinating because I don't really know what you get you you guys get up, get up to on a day-to-day basis. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar to this. So at one point we were told I'm not, I can talk about this. Yeah, I can. Um, to put our phones in, in a little lockbox, and we went into these two rooms, and th- this is this to me was the best part of the tour. Because I get to understand exactly what people do. So you've got one room with what I can only describe as a, basically a risk table and a map. And that's what the aircraft carrier would do on that on that day. Is is that broadly correct?
4: Yeah. So that was... We were talking about this on Saturday, yeah, yeah, weren't we? So you, yeah, so you had the two different rooms. And one is doing the long-range planning. And one is doing the short-range planning. Because that long-range planning is really important. Where the ship's sailing compared to the, the, remember the ship is there to deliver that air power and sea power, but deliver that air power where it needs to be. So that longer term plan is really important, but there'll also be a demand on those airplanes. Yes. So the captain has to, and the one star have to get that carrier group into the right place. Once they're in the right place, they then need to navigate it correctly so that you've got wind over the deck and you've got, you know when you're flying and that's when it then transfers to that day by day Schedule where well, you're now, right, here are our flying windows during the day and the night so that the ship's staff and the ship's navigator know that they need to be on a particular course and bearing, whatever it happens to be, depending on weather of the day. Because you can imagine, you know, if you're um, collecting aircraft, you know, you're going through a landing serial and you're sailing into wind. Ain't so good if you've got an island in the way and you're going to have to break off, turn left, and those airplanes that are short of fuel have to now do something else. A little bit easier with F-35s vertically landing yeah. than it is in an image class when they're you know, hitting the deck at 130 knots. Um, but that was the difference in the planning. You know, That longer-term, long-range planning for the ship, understanding where they're going, what they're doing, what the flying schedule is likely to look like, when are those flying windows, and they can then um, you know, run the crew around that compared so, to the daily flying schedule, which is really important to the guys that we spoke to.
3: So you've got your daily flying schedule, and then in the next room you've got an identical table where you are doing the long-range planning, as, as God has said, and this is where it really gets interesting. In a brief most mornings, you get the various air squadrons come in, and they get briefed on what they're doing and also of the things that they're going to do in the following days. They go away, tell me if I'm getting this wrong, and then these air squadrons come back with various plans which are then accepted for the next day's planning. Is that correct? yeah pretty much so if you want to get far in the RAF or the Navy or whatever it may be is it the person that gets the most ideas sort of accepted for for the various plans on a day-to-day basis because I mean, I'm imagining that a lot of this stuff is going back to back to squadrons they're coming up with plans then taking them back up higher up the chain
4: no because it's a big team and it's a big puzzle as to how to fit it all together yes um So it's not a competition as to who can get the most serials in because a squadron itself will have a number of different things that they need to achieve in just normal flying training Mm. as well as required to do an operation. So it might be that someone needs a night deck landing or, or whatever it happens to be. So they have to try and fit that into their schedule and say, hey, can we night fly in the next night flying period please and it might be that some of the air traffic controllers on board need to do a particular amount of control so they'll ask the squadrons hey during this period can we
3: have five instrument approaches towards the ship uh-huh. it's that sort of thing now if a plan is accepted this gets even more amazing because they can practice it on simulators on board which again is it's just amazing
4: yeah and that that is where we are different to any other aircraft carrier in the world at the moment. The ability to embark, uh, essentially, two containers with four F thirty five cockpits inside that you can run off and and run your simulators. Whether that is practicing emergencies, you know, the sort of day to day stuff that makes you current, or which I think is more important, is the mission rehearsal of a task that you are that you might be um, tasked to carry out in the next few days next week or so you know you can trial tactics in there that you you know against particular threat systems those sorts of things so you're constantly learning throughout it's, the uh, throughout the cruise
3: it, it is astonishing i mean uh, Doug, can you can can you just put into context how how important that would have been or um how how much use that that that, that would have been in, in in your harrier days when, uh, when, when you're flying off a carrier it's difficult to
5: say, actually. It's a, it's a tricky one because, you know, the the mission that's being flown is so different um, from an F-35 to what we were doing in a, in a Harrier, you know, some of the time, you know, just dropping dumb bombs, you know, and again, you know, low-level sorties because we were sort of going from the Cold War era with that airplane and trying to then step up to medium-level and close-air support operations. Um, and then if you... Um, uh, so, you know, for close air support, would you need to do mission rehearsal? Could you even do mission mission rehearsal? P- probably not. You know, you, what you could do is you could go and do your simulator sorties, uh, which is a nice to have. But I think, you know, the fifth generation fighter that F-35 is, you know, that mission simulation um, in, in what it's going to do, I think, uh, you know, is all important. But it's a very different mission to what the Harrier did.
4: But, but, even that close air support, you it, of course you can practice it because you can practice speaking, you know the simulator instructor can be a terminal air control party, uh, you know a forward air controller doing something, and you can practice what you're going to write down, how you're going to um, use your weapon system, you know put your kit uh, a bit more simple in the harrier. You could give yourself clouds and and you know targeting problems when it
5: I agree, to but weapons uh, and but you were kind of doing that every day anyway. That's the thing. You actually... Uh, there, there wasn't that restriction on flying. We were flying our asses off.
0: Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. When you were at Wittering Dunk, did you ever use the sim for tactical stuff, or was it just for emergencies?
5: Oh, no, no, you do some tactical stuff as well, so but you, not...
2: You could kind of do the same thing then, maybe on the ship, I don't
5: know. Yeah, I, well, I guess you could have done, but my... my the, the point I'm trying to put across is I don't know how much use that would have been because you know you'd have done that preparation before you embarked and mm. then you were doing the missions
3: on dip you know now we've seen that... see what i mean hmm. well we've seen the software haven't we At um farnborough before it obviously all closed down where actually you could put an f-35 in the air in fact any airframe in uh in, in the air And then you could get a guy in a simulator and you could basically formate up, you could do everything else because of the heads up display on the F 35. It'd be like you were flying with another aircraft. I can imagine that being incredibly powerful for training.
4: Oh, yeah, definitely. The live, virtual, and constructive—that's called. So you've got a, you know, a live entity, a virtual entity, and the constructive part is you construct the world around them. So the, the the world is your oyster when it comes to that sort of stuff, and and that's the stuff we're developing at the moment that is really really interesting, isn't it? And we'll just make better fighter pilots in the future. But you've always got to balance it with what Dunk said at the beginning. You know, if kids—I call them kids—that's probably disrespectful, but the youngsters coming through training today are. If they just want to fly airplanes, you have to let people fly airplanes. And so it's why we call it a balance, you know, a, a life synthetic balance. You know, you still have to be live flying. You can't do this all in the sim and then break out a real airplane the, real, the first time you do it because you cannot simulate being short of fuel coming back to a ship <laughs>
5: no, to not. land. Well, you can. You can simulate it, but you won't get the fear factor of when you are actually Coming no, back but, to but that's shit. exactly
4: what I mean, Doug. Yeah. You know, you, you just, you cannot simulate that, the panic rising in your throat.
5: Not that, that any the... of us panic. We're all, well, no. maybe the Brave Air Commodore does, but the rest of us are absolutely steely calm at all yes. times.
2: Doug, you were just sick a little bit then, weren't you?
5: I did puke a bit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think we've witted on enough because we've got an interview. From Queen Elizabeth herself, HMS Queen Elizabeth, in the Flyco with Ed Phillips and James Blackmore. So, enjoy it. Ed, could you
7: just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about where about where we are and what we're doing? Uh, Hello, I'm I'm Commander Ed Phillips. Uh, I am Commander Air of HMS Queen Elizabeth, um, colloquially known as Wings, and has been so since uh, the first Commander's Air um, in the 1920s. Um, So it's a long-standing sort of uh, position. Uh, My job is uh, to, uh, on behalf of the captain, I have conduct of...
0: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
4: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash people today.
7: Aviation on board HMS Queen Elizabeth, so all the air activity um, that uh, goes on from this aircraft carrier will be supervised by me. Excellent. And we're also joined by a ship's captain, one of the
6: captains, uh, James Blackmore. So uh, good afternoon, yeah, thank you. Uh, James Blackmore, I'm the uh, UK Carrier Strike Group, Carrier Air Wing, and Strike Warfare Commander which uh, sounds incredibly... longer than your title, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm getting um. <laughs> But for short, CAG. There you go, that keeps it nice and simple. But um, And in effect, um, once Ed, uh, as, as Wings, gets the jets uh, off the deck, or the helicopters off the deck, uh, they then almost transfer over to myself for the operational mission, if you like, uh, and the effect, that, which is the carrier strike effect, which is what we've got this carrier for. Oh, that's really interesting. And I don't... I didn't realise that. So can you just ex- explain a little bit about the, about the interplay between you two then? Well, do you know we're going to probably find a more of that out this autumn, really, because as part of operational tests as, as we go out to Westland 19 in America, we're going to start to tease out those relationships. But in many ways, um, it, a way of thinking about it is, is Ed owns the aircraft when they're on the deck. Um, he safely uh, gets them weaponed, uh, fuelled. Uh, and ready for launch, gets them off the deck, launches those aircraft, gets them away from the carrier control zone or the CCZ, at which point they kind of come my responsibility. So we, we have a sort of symbiotic relationship in some ways where we work together. And then I take those aircraft um, and put them into the operational mission to to deliver the effect that we uh, that we want to give. Is it right to say, then, that Ed, in the film Top Gun, and both of them have just gone, <laughs> oh, what the hell is he talking about here? You're the
4: one who gets coffee spilt all over the place. And, ah, uh, yeah. and um, Black, is, are you the bald-headed guy who... Um, Smoking cigars. smoking cigars, sending you to top yeah, up. Yeah, 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 right. so, to we, know, smoke, so yeah. we know who these guys are. Yeah, yeah. It, well, what would you be in?
2: Funny uh, <laughs> <laughs> because they look almost exactly <laughs> the same.
4: As well. well, that's cool. So uh, you know that really does demonstrate actually the the fact that you know on a carrier you have that control zone and it is you know it's an airport and it's got everything from air, we're stood in air traffic right now uh, from you know people controlling taxing uh, the aircraft
7: uh, on the deck. Getting airborne, uh, you know, that sort of close in control doing approaches to the ship, but then once you're outside of that, just like any sort of land base, then uh, Black
4: is you're sticking, you know, you're telling them that on this particular day they're doing a strike mission or a
6: suppression of enemy air defences or anything like that. Exactly, exactly that. And um, you know, the beauty of an aircraft carrier is obviously it moves around the globe and you know, this up to 500 miles a day, so we're never quite sure where we'll be. Obviously, we're planning to be places. Um, so the environment that we're operating in, the airspace, will, will change continuously, as will the operational output. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a constant challenge, but that's the beauty of having something this size with this number of aircraft. Right, now, if I've got this right, and I think you've I have, you have both flown previously with Dunk, is that right? We both have.
3: And you, so does that mean that you're both originally RAF men? No, no. Right okay so just <laughs> that's a, a very short answer Give yeah. me no. a, a, a bit of background about that's one of the
4: worst
7: questions you could have ever asked him they, they he both, he thought he was right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're both um both in the fleet air arm okay um, so the naval aviation arm of the uh, of the royal navy uh, the the reason we uh, with with dunk as we were both part of an organization or an organization me, called Joint Force Harrier uh, which was a joint Royal Navy and Royal Air Force organization operating the Harriers from land and sea In in the past, Um, and a model similar to that is when we go forward to now the Lightning Force that embarks on board these ships. That is a joint Royal Navy and Royal Air Force organisation in a sort of similar um, vein with pilots from both services um, operating to the same same procedures. Yeah, so the Royal Navy, well, uh, the UK in general, hasn't had a carrier for a very, very long time until this one. Uh,
3: The Harrier's disappeared quite some quite some time ago Um must have taken an awful lot of faith on behalf of both of you two to sort of hang around and make sure that you got to this point and this all came in,
6: in, into fruition yeah I, absolutely yeah. Um, I mean 2009-10 was a pretty dark time for you and I wasn't it when uh, a- a- along with both Air Force and Navy pilots you know none of us really knew what the future looked like um, it was a leap of faith to get to this point um, some people chose to take different paths some of us stuck around bloody glad we did yeah um, both Ed and I got a chance to go and fly F-18s um, in America in that interim time while whilst we didn't have a carrier-based aircraft to keep our skills up and understand how to operate a ship of this size. Um, and then we both find ourselves back here now, you know, almost 10 years the day since, since that decision was taken to scrap the carrier and the Harrier here delivering F-35s from Queen Elizabeth. Well, I'm
3: glad you mentioned that. Could you just tell me a little bit about,
6: you
7: know, how did you, how do you get about making sure that you maintained your skills in that, in that huge gap? I think... Um, uh, you know, you're absolutely right to call it a huge gap. When we were in 2010, when we were looking at that, uh, we were quite uh, quite concerned. Um, and actually, a large part of this is down to the. the Thanks to the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Marine Corps, and the French Navy as well, uh, in terms of recognizing the importance of having this capability within the United Kingdom, um, and therefore inviting us to come and operate with them um, on board their aircraft carriers. That's that's not just for aircrew, but that's also for flight deck handlers, intelligence officers, uh, navigators, etc., um, etc., et uh, across uh, across the board. Um, and I think that. Actually, the real paradox of, of, of this all is that because that programme has been so successful, we almost find ourselves, ourselves in a position where we are more experienced in operating aircraft at sea than we might have been otherwise, um, <laughs> which, uh, as well as it's been, you know, for those of us, uh, involved a huge adventure and a real privilege um, as, uh, at the same time. So but, it's, it's right. We're in a better place now than we arguably would have been had we
6: kept those carriers and harriers going forward. Now that will sound quite odd to a lot of people, but actually taking a break from it, taking that bold decision early, um, making sure we work with our other you know, colleagues uh, in other services and other navies to get where we are, so uh, it's, a, it's a good outcome.
3: So if I was a US Navy, um, if, sorry, if, if, if I was in the US Navy and I came on board, board the ship when you were up and running,
7: would it be the same or would we notice some substantial, some, some, some substantial differences? Uh, there will be elements that are the same and, and elements that are, are very different to, uh, as well. Um, I think, you know, the way we operate here is not the way we always did business in our old little uh, Harrier uh, carriers. It's not the way the Americans uh, do it in their carriers or the French do it. It's, it's taking elements from all of those and trying to um, take that, uh, that, that forward. Um, obviously, the, the main one from an American strike carrier um, pilot coming on board here is that we operate short takeoff and vertical landing, which abbreviates to Stovall um, as our mode of operation, whereas they use catapults and arrestor wires um, to, uh, to launch and recover those airplanes. That's the main one, but there are all sorts of other uh, changes in terms of that. We have two islands, the island being the term we use in carriers for the superstructure above, mm-hmm. uh, above the flight deck. Um, as opposed to other ships, uh, the, uh, let's say, take an American carrier, or indeed Charles de Gaulle, or most uh, most carriers have only uh, one. So just um, to explain, though, so we're now in the uh, in the aft island,
5: aren't yes, we? Yes, um, So which is part of that superstructure. So uh, Flyco, that uh, was described before, it's like a, a uh, it's a fantastic uh, air traffic control tower, effectively with brilliant visibility of the of the whole ship. Uh, but those
7: two uh, island superstructures, I think, JB asked uh, before, maybe it was parking. Why are there two? Um, it, it comes down to the, the basis of the design, and I think there are, there are two main reasons for it. One is to do with uh, propulsion, and the other is to do with uh, resilience. So, um, broadly speaking, she is an electrically propelled ship, so she is driven forwards by electric motors, uh, and the rest of the machinery is effectively a large power station to provide that electricity. But so your- it's green power? Uh, environmentalists <laughs> would be absolutely delighted. There is power <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, smoke. That, anyway. that, uh, the power comes from diesel generators and gas turbines. Yeah. The gas turbines being marine trends, so based on the same Trent as you would find in a Boeing seven hundred seven, and seventy-seven, seven, seven, for example. Um, and oh, wow. they provide the right amount of power for not just the uh, the engines, but also for the, the the lights we see, all of the the uh, other services uh, around. What that means, though, is because you don't need to tie them all to... Uh, to how many to, of those have you got? How many watts? How many of those engines? Treads. We have four four diesel generators and two gas turbines. Okay. Now, that's, that comes into the island because the positioning of them is such that they, they because they're just generating electrical power through an alternator, you can put them where you like in the ship. And by, by having them underneath uh, you know, where, where we would have our, our uptakes and our downtakes, um, it means that we can separate them, you can have... Less space taken up by that machinery allows us to operate more aeroplanes as a result. But it does require two elements coming up above the flight deck. And as a result of that, we have the two towers, the two islands. That also gives us better survivability because we have a redundancy should yeah. one or the other take, care, take damage. And we're standing here in Flyco, the flying control, but if we, uh, if we look to the forward island where the bridge is, the navigation bridge, in one corner of that, we could use that should we need to yeah, yeah. as a secondary uh, uh yeah. And vice versa, yeah. in the forward end of this island, uh, the aft island, there is a secondary bridge effectively for should they need it.
5: Even that secondary, as I look now uh, to, towards the... Uh, the, the forward end of the ship the and I can see that uh, that second FlyCO that Ed was yeah. Yeah. just talking about even that looks
6: significantly better as a FlyCO <laughs> than the FlyCO we had on illustrious yes. I mean it's, it, the whole thing's a huge step forward yeah, yeah. Um, this carrier designed entirely around the jet yeah um, if we're honest designed around 36 of them so yeah. we're the only carrier in the world that's been designed specifically for a 5th generation F-35 lightning aircraft. Yeah.
2: Um, Just going back to the Flybex, I didn't realise you know, you're uniquely I guess both that you've done the V-Stol Harrier yeah. but you've also done, Ed, you was saying 200 plus cat and traps in the F-18 yes, yes, and a year right. at sea Yeah. 100 so, you know, for me it, 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 that's, that's unbelievable so you've got boys that have spent years Harrier off of the ship but also F-18s as well so you know, you, you've seen it both sides, you know, you yes. really can't, yeah. the pros and cons of, of both. You've ah. actually both been, you know,
5: when you look back, as you were saying before, and you look at the demise of the Sea Harrier, which then came to the demise of the uh, of the GR9 at the end there in yeah. 2010, you could have looked at that and flip flippin' neck, you know, those boys are having a hard time, but actually, yeah. the experience, and particularly the, the naval experience that you've gleaned operating Sea Harrier, and then uh, GR9 off the, uh, off the carrier, and then to come cats and traps to this yep. is, is, is huge, isn't it? Is it? Huge. Well, yeah. circle, isn't yeah. it, it is huge. Full circle, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's, it's been it, a,
6: yeah,
7: a, one, a wonderful adventure yeah. in yeah, yeah. terms of and, yeah. and, and, and great experience to take forward, so yeah. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Do you... Um, the way the US Navy operates, you know, where it is all about the debt cycle, yeah. because it
4: has to be... You know, we had a short discussion earlier about the fact that they, uh, they'll have... F eighteen tankers yep. in order to top people up so they can make their slot times, you know, all of that sort of stuff, or to top them up once they've taken off. Um, do you see an advantage of the way that we are
6: going to operate because we're slightly more flexible when it comes to that? I think you've hit the word there. It's the, it's the flexibility that you get with a V-Store platform, um, which it, which is one of the advantages. There are some disadvantages as well, but I think the um, we'll, we'll be able to have probably a longer flying window in a twenty four hour period um, where we'll be able to generate. Um, Fast jets for a longer period of time throughout the day and night, which I think is one of our one of our advantages. Um, is that because you won't have to reset catapults and or, what's the reason
7: for that? Why? What is? Is uh, so it just quicker bringing a jet just a than a... it's part of that. The way our the um, ships landing. are manned mm, um, yeah. are such that we have the watch rotation to enable us to have the flight deck fully manned all the time. Now, yeah. uh, that's not saying an American carrier couldn't do that for a very short period of time, but they're not scaled yeah. for that. Mm. For the the longer term.
6: So, the majority of the people that work on board will work eight hours on, eight hours off, eight hours on continuously for the whole time we're at sea. Um, So, in essence, we've always got people up able to deliver flying. So, from a helicopter point of view, It's reasonable to expect us to be flying helicopters at any time throughout that 24-hour period. We'll probably throttle slightly back on the jet just because of the tempo and the number of people, but um, no, we should be able to uh, deliver something of that order of magnitude. Which is great news.
4: One of the other points that um, is not immediately obvious as we stand here, but uh, when we're operational, uh, we're not going to sail with them um, in the next few weeks, Uh, but the use of simulation for the flying wing on board is enormous. We walked through the hangar deck and there's actually two slots in the hangar deck there for what are big ISO containers, so for anyone listening, you know the sorts oh, of containers yeah. that you get on the back of a ship, uh, on the back of a truck that you see driving down the motorway, and each one of those has two F-35 cockpits in it. So you've got a linked F-35 ship. Yep. that means that as soon as you sail actually, arguably, I was going to say you could maintain your currency in terms of high-end missions and that sort of thing. Actually, you could get better. You can link those
2: sims with the boys flying as well? No, not
4: no. not at the moment. Okay. That's an aspiration That's for the future. Okay. But it just means that you know you can fly and be doing your mission and doing that yeah, yeah. sort of stuff. Also, you can be in the simulator or, alternatively, you could be in the simulator practicing mission rehearsing the... the, the
6: um, uh, the sortie that you're about to go and do, which is flipping brilliant. It's a huge benefit. It's unique. Uh, no one else is doing that right now. Um, and uh, we think you will realise some huge benefits. You know, We know in the military that, that a lot of our flying practice, if you like, just to keep currency or understand how to do things and, and your tactics will be done in the simulator. Historically, that's all been done ashore. But to be able to take that with us to sea, and do you know what, as, as, the, as the CAG for the air wing, if we've got a really gnarly mission coming up in, say, four days' time, to be able to go and rehearse that as with the four pilots that are going to yeah. go and
2: fly that mission in the representative threat environment, what an absolute bonus that is. And you've flown the F-35 sims, I guess, just to have experience of what it's like to, to land an F-35 on the carrier. Pilotly question, but now, Harrier, F-18, and F-35, in terms of adrenaline and heartbeats, <laughs> wh- wh- how would you rate that difficulty, and mm. between those three jets. Three uh,
7: without having flown the F-35, I'll, I'll hold back on commenting from what is otherwise you know, the, the simulator, but I think the if you were to compare a Harrier and an F-18 uh, Super Hornet in particular, the later model of, uh, of F-18, that i flew, the more modern one, um, the capability the F-18 had was, or has, is uh, far greater than, than the Harrier had, and as a machine in which to go to, to war, is, it was Right, i choose yeah. that. S35-like, isn't um, it, It, it is, a lot of that, of but the way systems. it integrates its sensor information, yeah. the way... But just as it, a
2: pure piloting, coming back, you know, so I've got to now land on this ship.
7: In a way, I think, you know, in a way, I I felt I flew a Harrier, I operated a it. Okay. to a set, because it has that that level of sort of uh, fly-by-wire, um, yeah. you're, you're kind of a... voting member in actually what it's going to do, whereas I think the the crisp nature of a a Harrier's much more uh, well uh, mechanical linkage uh, controls um, meant that it it just uh, I think it was from a pilot's point of view. I'm sensing more heartbeats in the Harrier. I think so. I think (laughs) think especially night. I think 90
6: v stole in a Harrier. Was was probably uh, yeah, interesting. Beyond.
4: So worse than landing an F eighteen on. I the think deck, so. You're set night. up
6: for success when you wow. land an F eighteen at night. You start off on the glide path, and and broadly the energy state of that aircraft yeah. just stays the same all the way down to touchdown. You fly 144 or so knots all the yeah. way down to touchdown. Yeah. Smack. 65 yeah. feet above the sea. You're following some pretty much single point of light source, you fly down and two things are gonna happen. Hopefully both of <laughs> them involve hitting the deck. You either then stop very quickly because you've yeah. taken an arrest yeah. uh a rest of wire, away, or you, you you bounce and get airborne again, and take the bolter. Um so, in some have ways. Have you had to do that? Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that it had yeah. so. No, 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 no. Um, Whereas uh, with the Harrier, you know, as, as some of you know that we're talking about, a lot of us have flown Harrier here, that the energy state of that aircraft, you're going from something that's wing borne to purely thrust borne <laughs> as you come in land. So, um, I think the night landing v wise for a Harrier is, is probably a harder game than the F-18. But you know what? The launches are interesting because the, the ramp launch in a Harrier, I mean, that's phenomenal fun to go up the ramp and you go from some extremely short distances. You know, Harrier was 200 feet from the rampage, 350 feet in an yeah. uh, X-85. So just
5: to describe that to people, yeah. the 200 feet on, uh, on Illustrious was, as the ramp started to go yeah. up, so that you had no level deck, you literally lined up at the
2: start of the ramp and off you went. Yes. Uh, so it, and, and as a non harrier mate, and JB we're the only ones I remember going on illustrious and it's a bit like standing here now and it is utterly amazing but standing on that 200 spot whatever they called it the two spots and looking and imagining you had to just with your own thrust get airborne it just beggared belief. And even the no, 300 that. spot, how an F-35 will get airborne in that yeah. distance. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, so we, um, and we perhaps to talk a
6: bit about some of the testing we did last year, but just to come back to your adrenaline question, I, I'm, g- I'm going to give you three orders of what, where I thought the okay. level of violence was in the cockpit. Yeah. Um, I think um, the, the third most violent thing I've ever done is, uh, is launching an F-18 off a catapult. That's a pretty violent experience. The yeah. second most violent experience is landing an F-18. Third mo- uh, sorry, first most violent experience is ejecting. So, okay. if you want to put it in those orders of where things are interesting. Uh, yeah, all right, so I think I can comment. <laughs> you're on the one, yeah, yeah. but yeah, um, yeah the, the level of just uh, g force yeah. and violence that you, you experience in the combat, and it is like violence, isn't it? It's a bit yeah. like just being beaten up when you take yeah, an arrested yeah. landing or right. a, a catapult. but shot. in a oh, very
7: well. exciting way. Oh, oh my god, yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A fully loaded super is some um, you know 66,000 pounds in. in Weight, um, so that's that's uh, what thirty odd tons, uh, tons yeah. ton uh, and it'll go from. You know, zero to 160 odd knots in the space of a couple of seconds, and, uh, and, and stop feet. from 144. And, and yeah, So the amount so of energy important. imparted and, and yeah. then yeah. taken yeah. away is just phenomenal. Yeah. So, uh, so, what is the optimum takeoff of The, 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 the F-35 on hundred and fifty feet. It's nothing yeah, I'm, is Looking so not at the 300 yeah, more to put that into context, the deck itself goes back to all the way to 850 feet. On, on, on. So here's point, Jamie.
4: So having seen an aircraft carrier for the first time, as you look out. From what is an amazing view out of what to me, you know, used to airfields, is still a massive piece of real estate. What are your
3: first impressions looking out? Do the, you know there? what? It's so vast that you don't really appreciate the scale. Because what's what's a football field? For like 100 metres? Yeah.
6: yeah. It's absolutely, the so, is absolutely enormous. I mean, this is, uh, it's hard to quantify the size when you look at it, but it's about 900 feet long, it's about 210 feet across the beam. It's four and a half acres, is another way of describing it, or it's 16,000 <laughs> square metres. Either way, um, you know it's a lot shorter than the runway on land. Um, you know Traditionally, a, a land runway that will operate at RF Marham, what, 8,000 feet. We're down to a max 900 feet here, but actually reality is we'll only use about 350, 400 feet of it. Uh, is that irrespective of what load the F-35 is carrying? Um, in part, um, there will be times when we need to launch further aft along the runway, but... For a standard combat loadout in standard weather conditions, internal weapons, as we know, you know, it's got internal weapons, yeah. bay. It'll tend to go from 350 to 450 feet without too much problem. a we'll, problem. The ship will drive into wind and we'll put about 20 knots of wind over the deck, uh, which obviously helps a little bit, but it doesn't, you know... It, 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 it will go, even in
2: those light winds, it's phenomenal. We, we were chatting to Ed earlier, and I had no idea about this, but just how clever the F-35 is. So as it gets airborne, it knows when it's hitting the ramp, and then it
7: does some clever thrust. Yeah, well, it. it I mean, a ramp launch in, in general, and this is no different, the basic principle between a Harrier and, and an F-35, yeah. but it's much more automated in yeah. the F-35, is such that you are... Very much like going off a, a, a humpback, you're know, going too fast over a humpback bridge in a car. Um, Never done you, you are <laughs> below. You are below the flying speed of the aeroplane when you leave the, uh, the the bows of the ship. You, but the fact that it's you've got a ballistic throw. Um, The idea is, and the calculations I showed you, that when you reach the apogee of that ballistic throw, that's when you're at flying speed and you carry on flying, flying away. Um, What that does, though, is is very simply through a piece of what is no more than a a cleverly designed piece of metal, um, which doesn't really require much in the way of any uh, maintenance or, or, or manning, is it gives you... Uh, An effective um, length of of launch, which is um, so much greater, and that's the reason why we're able to launch from say three hundred and fifty feet. And you could then say, "Well, what's the rest of it for?" But that gives us the flexibility to operate a far greater number of airplanes than we were able to. And and the types of helicopters, front engine ed,
2: forgive my ignorance, the hover engine, the lift, the lift, that is kicking in as you're just launching up that. So it's not there. So in a split second that. Just so, clever stuff. It
6: is, I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and the lift fan. When the jet taxis out, it converts into a stove mode. So you've seen the videos, all those yeah. doors open yeah. up, yeah. the yeah. lift fan lid opens up. The lift fan then engages. A big clutch drives from the main engine into the uh, into a clutch yeah. into the lift fan, spools that lift fan up, uh, and the and so the lift fan and the main engine are both running as the jet goes up the deck, and then it increases the thrust as it needs it, but. Um, it, it's phenomenal yeah, I guess you want to know that that lift out going yeah. prior it to that sea, it, it yeah. is yeah. but, uh, but it, it, it works and you know yeah. as we were saying earlier on N and I f- flew sea harriers and there was no aperture in a sea harrier going off the ramp it just went off dead flat if you were lucky some days it was flat and a bit down which was always a bit of an eye opener GR9 bigger wing bigger engine you've got a much greater performance the jet really sort of starts to look like it was climbing away F- particularly with yeah. Yeah. the big engine, the big engine was huge. I flew the big F jet. Yeah, yeah. Did it oh,
2: make no, no. any difference? Yeah. Huge rocket ship.
6: Yeah. yeah. yeah huge. Whereas F thirty five just shoots off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Now we did some testing last year where it was don't deliberately. Don't, we don't, we don't, took don't, it to the absolute don't, min don't, distance yeah. that was that was calculated safe to do, just to give ourselves confidence. So we got some. See where the line is. But all
7: that was 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 really well worked out. I was just going to say. About that testing that you did last year, um, I think we've mentioned already that you know, it was
4: developmental testing, it's yep. the first time the jet was coming to land on the ship, so very much test pilots, very yep. much um, instrumented equipment, that side of things.
6: This year, it is frontline pilots doing it. In the next few weeks, yep. it's frontline pilots doing it. So we, uh, we sail in, in, in day's view now to go across to America. Um, not with the jets initially, we've got some other trials the ship's going to do, it's going to it's going to get itself very hot just to make sure we can operate in hot climates. feels um, very hot. It man. does now, I yeah. know. Um, it's going to go 30 and... Also do it. Yeah. Um, we're going to do some rotary wing flying trials just because we need to expand the envelope of helicopters operating on here. And then we're going to pick the jets up um, early October. Um, so you'll be...
2: You'll just come back a bit and they'll
6: just launch No, no, they're, they're going to fly out and, and meet us there. So they'll, uh, they'll fly out from the UK and from Edwards Air Force Base. Okay, to, wow. two, two separate locations where we've got UK F-35s. Yeah, yeah. They're going to meet us um, probably in South Carolina, Marine Corps Air Station, Beaufort, and they'll launch onto us Amazing. once we're out of sea. Amazing. But to go back to your point, then, yes, it's all about now looking at how we operationalise um, and use the aircraft in that operational concept. But it's not just about the ship as well. It's about all the ships that make the task group up as well. So we're going with a destroyer, our Type 45 destroyer. Uh, we're going with a Type 23 and submarine warfare frigate as well. And the key thing, because the jet's proved itself already, it's been out, it's flown some... Operational shader missions as well. head of Cyprus. We've got to now make sure that everything it can do from a land base, we can do it at least as well. Dare I say, it, if not even better from from the maritime and in the maritime. So it's got to be able to talk to all the other ships yeah. and still be able to deliver on that strike mission.
3: Now, you don't have a carrier air here,
6: do you? It's a tailor strike group, is that, is that correct? So we do call it a carrier air wing. Okay. Yeah, we, we're not we're not in what we. Sometimes the word tailored gets used, but it, it's very much a carrier air wing. It's all of those elements that come together to form the air wing. So, right now, you're looking at the deck, no aircraft at all. As we sail um, later this week, helicopters from Royal Naval Air Station Yeovilton and uh, Royal Naval Air Station Coldrose will join us, and that will be a mixture of Merlin Mark IIs, the anti submarine warfare helicopters, Merlin Mark IVs, which um, we use for a number of roles, one of which is stores resupply, but also to look at things like joint personnel recovery and also the be able to put Royal Marines ashore Um, so uh, so we'll have those we'll also um, have Wildcat which is the modernised or the new variant of the Lynx helicopter which will join us and be in our frigates and our uh, our tanker um, support ship as well so we'll go with a with an initially rotary wing air wing and then when the jets come in that will form up and this is all steps towards what our final air wing will look like um, for the first deployment in 2021. Um, where we'll have more helicopters and more jets. So I guess my question, my follow-up question on that then is, who
3: designs the air wing before you go? Do, do, do you guys get together with a pen and pencil and say, yeah, we want to... <laughs> yeah.
4: you know, it's, it's oh, be gotta
2: it, say So if it's wrong...
0: <laughs>
6: <laughs> it
4: was black.
2: How well, many people are we talking, about? the right, on board
6: when you sail? So... The ship, broadly, yeah. we're looking at about 800 yeah, or so people. The, the ships come company, company, yep. in, 800. And If then you, then you
2: were tooled up with marines
6: and pilots. And stuff. everybody else, then we're looking closer to 1,500 uh, oh, people. So in the ship, it? about 1,500 people. And we're fully tooled up, ready to go, with an air wing, with rockets. And we'll have that this year. But, um, so there's a point go. there, put but put so that with the, the ship this, uh, essentially the similar
7: size to an image class? Yeah. When well, yep. you guys were sailing on deployment with the Americans, how many people inside they that with an air wing? Uh, upwards of five thousand people. What? Yeah. So, so there is a big difference there. So it's um, delivering the think, same effect. Yeah, and, and and I think the it's amazing. And this is this is in a way that the the benefit we've had of, of being able to step back and take a fresh look at the way we design the ship. Um, there's a, a, a huge amount of clever British engineering that has gone into the, the the ship design as a whole, which enables us to to do what we hope is you know a, a, a uh, uh, a very similar level of, um, of of operational output, but with uh, with a far far fewer yeah, yeah. Um, people on board through the use of uh, all automation, particularly things like our weapons handling systems, etc., which are largely uh, largely automated. Um, because the reality is we just um, you know the, the Americans are very, very good at what they do um, they are you know the world 's leading carrier um, nation and have done it for some time, but we don 't have the resources to be able to to man ships to the, the way they do and like, so I think um, you know this, the, this class of ship is is actually uh, very well thought through, and is a really efficient yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. dare I say, a very good value for money way to, uh, to to get through what we're trying to achieve. That's yeah. about five thousand yeah,
5: yeah. people. Well, so just to put that into perspective a little bit, I think just the sort of uh, the sense of history and privilege actually for us to come on board and, and stand here today. So, and there's all sorts of bits of history as we've uh, as we've arrived. So, um, we we came to the Art Royal Building. Uh, is this the Art Royal site? Is that what this is called? Princess this, Royal this, Jetty. So Princess yes. Royal Jetty here. Um, and uh, here, as we look over our left shoulder, actually, we can see HMS Victory uh, just uh, just over the way here. And here we are at the, uh, at the cutting edge of technology, and we've spoken about a few numbers there. I was reading a book called Erebus at the moment, which is about... Uh, a, a Royal Naval ship, which then went on the Antarctic expeditions. Oh, Michael Palin wrote it. Yeah, the, the book club. There you go, straight in there. But it's um, <laughs> yeah. uh, in the I 18- didn't know You could read. I oh, know. Nor did I. Yeah, oh, nice. <laughs> it's got lots of awesome. pictures. <laughs> All, lots
3: of pictures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now we <laughs> got it.
5: Okay. But it talks about so this uh, the, the, the ship Erebus went off. It did a four-year Antarctic expedition, uh, but it was just over a hundred feet long. And it had 160 people on board, and at the time, it was the, the cutting edge. But the sense of excitement that it describes of the whole nation um, of, of that voyage... And actually, we, so we stood up here on Flyco now, and we just watched what I think was the, the Portsmouth Cat come past. And the whole of uh, the civilian, what must be a pleasure, a pleasure craft of some sort, was crammed with people, all looking at what is this incredible aircraft carrier
6: that we're lucky enough to be standing Pretty on. a proud moment for you yeah, yeah. when you set uh, out. And now I think when we come back in December the second one will be more just a Cernivus HMS hey, Prince of Wales. So yeah. if we look at Cernivus in December yeah. be another one of these. Now that's a good photograph once. Um, after that the whole idea is we've got two so that one's always out there yeah. doing yeah. the job yeah. or being ready to go to do the job. Yeah. So uh, yeah but you're right it's, it's it's great. I mean, the juxtaposition with Hatred's Victory just yeah. is incredible. Yeah,
5: and we're looking actually down on one of the ferries coming, which just looks tiny. I, I was actually saying to Ed um, that, you know, we went into uh, to Malta uh, on Illustrious, uh, and when we were there, um, one of these uh, these cruise liners came in and parked next to it, and it made Illustrious look
6: tiny, but that won't be the case uh, with, with Queen Elizabeth. Um, You've got a phone call to, to me? I, I've got another... I, I, I'm good at the moment, but... That's so, um, so, four of you here have served on Illustrious. Is it Illustrious or Invincible? The Invincible class,
0: um, of which there was Illustrious, Invincible
6: and Ark Royal.
0: Yeah.
3: So, just from your initial impressions and gents, um, what, um,
5: how would you compare the two? It's difficult to say, to be honest. I, I mean, I got that same sense of <laughs> excitement. I, I said to the guys, actually, just the smell as you come on board is like, well, I'm back on the carrier. And the hairs on the back of my neck uh, went up. It is the most incredible environment to operate on, i found. It, it's just amazing. Uh, and, the, you know, the guys have already spoken about... Uh, the whole fleet concept, but the crew concept as well, and operating on a carrier, particularly uh, in in aviation. Uh, We call them the chockheads, the guys that marshaled us around the the ship. The accuracy, you were absolutely at their uh, disposal. You followed their command to the letter in terms of how they marshaled you around. Now, although the, the Queen Elizabeth here is clearly significantly bigger it's got that, that same feel that's, you know, of course, that same professionalism and that same focus to, to do a job of which the guys have just uh, have just both described so it, it's um, the, what it does for me is it makes me want to get back into yeah, an airplane yeah, yeah, yeah. and blast off Absolutely. again yeah,
7: yeah. and she's not, she's not bigger in order to provide more space uh, for, for, for aircraft to aircraft, she's bigger and able to to operate more aeroplanes yeah. and therefore have a, have, a, have a greater effect so yeah. this, this will become a busy deck and yeah, those yeah. Uh, those aircraft handlers out there will very much uh, earn their money You've got a hell of exactly a job in the it. Same way. Well you as well, here, so, he sat there Well,
3: we've already got 40 minutes so we'll ask you two similar but slightly different questions I'll go to the blockers first um, What are you most looking forward to when
6: you when um, embark the jets uh, in, well, what's only basically a few months' time? I think it's seeing more than uh, more than the two we had last year, so we'll start to see an increase in number of jets, which is always a good thing. But it's about getting frontline pilots on here now um, and seeing that mixture of Royal Air Force and Royal Navy pilots operating from the deck of a UK carrier once more. That, that's, a, that's going to be brilliant. And, and it will also be the first time a UK jet has landed on a carrier, so you know, it's that sort of combination. It's so a lot of history there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, huge. That's yeah, absolutely. Um, and... Um, the last one would be what
3: what is the biggest what, what is the biggest learning point which with um, which bunch of objects you would't
7: necessarily expect uh, that's an interesting one we, we are learning every single day um, I can't put my finger on one in particular uh, I, I think uh, you know, the whole idea of us going this autumn is to is to do that operational test where we will get some things right we will get some things wrong the idea is that we learn from all of that uh, and take it forward. Um, I think overall, however, is uh, the, the biggest. Is, is a lot of the um, sort of myths that were washing around about how difficult it would be to operate F thirty five C. It would be too loud. It would melt the deck. It would not. Be <laughs> over, thankfully, have not been realised. You know, and, and I think um, for the we have. Actually, proven last year, and we expected to carry on with that. um, How you know you absolutely need to respect the airplane like you would any airplane because it's producing a a great deal of thrust and it is a a noisy beast, but at the same time, that is entirely manageable. um, And and I think this design is is, is showing that that, uh, the testament of designing that ship for. For the uh, for the aeroplane um, is, uh, is starting to show uh, to bear fruit, I think which is uh, really. The really Harrier wasn't exactly
5: quiet, wasn't No, no. Hey, I've got a question. Though. I'm sorry to, to uh, So, uh, now clearly uh, we all have fond memories not only of operating off the ship, but it was a very close knit community. It was a very social time. So we've all we've all got uh, fond memories of uh, of the wardroom and also the quarter deck. Now, the quarter-deck on Illustrious was a fantastic place to be at the back of the ship with the capstans there, um, a teak uh, teak decking there as we looked over, and we may have once or twice shared... Half a glass of wine, maybe half a gin and tonic, yeah. something like that. How's the quarterdeck uh,
7: here on uh, on Queen I'm Elizabeth? L- I'm afraid that's one of the uh, you hit on one of the, the, the problems with the design, shall we say, is that the quarterdeck is not to the same standard I would oh. say, as we had as we had before. Right. right. But you do hit. You know, we we have a uh, a, a very uh, good wardroom. Uh, yeah. And I think you, you know we can um, uh, we can think and then laugh back at the, the good old uh, old memories, but actually, what I've been privileged to see in, in British and French and American carriers is the, the provision of that wardroom to allow that kind of social mingling across the ship and across every single department and every single squadron is really important. Um, and I think for those of us who only know that, it's it, you. you it kind of goes, uh, goes past you, but I think it's a really important way in which we we get everybody on board. We understand everyone's roles, and uh, and I think it makes us a much more integrated and better whole ships company as a yeah, result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So final final question. Yeah. Final final question,
4: because I know we're going to lose you, uh, blackers, uh, in a bit. But um, we've not actually, and so we can't go into a huge amount of detail, but. Um, Guess we've been fortunate, the ones, uh, you know, the three of us that fly in not having ejected mm. over the years, and that's just a throwaway <laughs> violence yes. point that you make.
7: Uh, do, you, do you want to give us a couple of minutes? Well, how always how good came... to end on you banging it. Okay. That's, that's, that's the finale.
4: Yeah, how it, yeah, how it came about, and you know uh, would you recommend it? <laughs>
6: uh, if, to, to live, yes, because uh, I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't used ejection seat. So, Martin made ejection seat, um, but 19 years ago now, yeah, 2000, I was, uh, I was lining up on the, uh, on the land-based ramp in a Harrier, uh, my fourth ever sort in a Harrier, the first time uh, I was ever going to go off the ramp, uh, lined up to go at 250 feet, you can kind of guess what's coming next, uh, all was really good on the, uh, on the acceleration to start off with, and then the engine failed about halfway at the ramp, um, so uh, the aircraft never achieved that flying speed that Ed talked about. Uh, I was in a two-seater with an instructor, and as we got to the top, it was very clear we were only doing 10 knots. We weren't (laughs) going to fall backwards down the ramp, we were going to topple off and and, uh, go in. So actually, in some ways, it was probably one of the worst crashes you've ever seen. Um, but Slow to, mo. to stay in the aircraft Who would have been... Uh, Were you instructed to go? Get, get no, out. The, uh, the the old Harrier two-seater that that I was flying then had no command ejection, um, and in fact I left before the instructor decided to go, so, uh, so followed you followed me out. would
2: have just kind of trickled off the top? Gone, yeah, it's
6: about a 17-foot height ramp, so you'd have, it, have noticed well the uh, jet uh, did. Uh, the jet did. Yeah. yeah, so uh, about um, a 30-odd G ejection to 150-odd. And did you...
7: Did you think about pulling the, you know, was it a obvious conscious thought about pulling the handle or did it just happen? Obvious conscious thought, absolutely 100%. So
6: we, we always do a take-off and emergency brief before launching and that take-off and emergency brief saved my life because one of the what-ifs was what if the engine fails or the aircraft doesn't fly from the ramp and it, yeah. was, you know, it was very clear. So uh, to pull the handle was a no-brainer, but, yeah, it was a, I'm now going to eject, pull the handle. And, and
2: in slow-mo, can you remember every... Yeah, absolutely
6: the, every single the kit, bit the of Yeah, the, the whole thing. lot. So seat firing, canopy going. Which was um, in about a second. Oh, it All was, of that. was it miniature detonation cord in it that, So It was, yeah. So, so, the, so yeah. for the benefit of the people
4: listening, both of you... Um, <laughs> I think it's just so, one today <laughs> yeah. There's uh, you know a small explosive uh, sort of zigzag down the canopy. Um, it is plastic explosive that detonates so that the, uh, the seat can come through. Yep. In a oh. typhoon or an F, in a typhoon, um, it's just like the F14 that you see in Top Gun, where you know it's charges around the canopy that take the, can- the whole canopy
6: off. Um, so, you went through the through canopy? Through that, yep, yeah, absolutely. Remember, it. remember the canopy going, remember me going through it, remember watching the jet get smaller because I wow. foolishly kept my eyes open. Uh, Watch my instructor eject out underneath me, and then. Are you uh, meant to keep your eyes open. It's probably not... advisable to close them, but uh, you, yeah, had, you had a You got your you vice you. yeah, so it's protected. I think
2: it shows a bit uh, of capacity, to be
6: honest. Not really, stupidity. And then, yeah, uh, under a parachute, three seconds later, back uh, oh, on so the air. The, so, there's the thing there. So, at that apex, did you think
4: i can see over? my
5: house from
6: here <laughs> <laughs> I hope the shoot opens uh, i didn't think no that that part <laughs> <Really> never in <never laughs> my mind it was uh, when, you uh, hit yeah. the, when you hit the floor did you get straight back up or just did take a no, few I, seconds no i didn't um, yourself? just because i wanted to check out that my body was fine um and so, were you okay? uh, yes i was yeah
7: yeah good effort
6: yeah wow. i mean at the end of the day better to be slightly hurt using the seat dead we're actually quite, so, uh, we're quite lucky here actually we've got four Harrier operators yeah. and for
5: only 25% with ejection That's it's quite a good yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're a good the only s- three that, that haven't yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah.
4: there was a point at the end of the 90s when uh, it was happening every yeah. other day yeah. it was yeah. ridiculous yeah. Um, well I guess on that note uh, we're very glad you're here,
2: Blackers, and, uh, you know, for both of you. Uh, and, you know, we're going to catch up with Ed uh, for a bit more. Uh, and, and to give us time three days before sailing, you know, to us. Yes. Yeah, yeah, uh, thank fantastic. You. Well, thank you so much. Uh, not thank at you. all. It's yeah, been yeah. an
6: absolute pleasure. So, uh, no, thank you. I'm going to depart. Um, Ed's going to, I think, give you a bit of a... Look
4: around the yeah. ship and some more... more and if you honest. have us, we'll,
6: we'll have to come back and uh, see
4: how it was yeah. uh, after the uh, uh, you
7: know, after the deployment in the, uh, in the next few weeks. We'll or we
4: could fly yeah.
2: out to
3: America. And <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: maybe
6: we we'll did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll that.
4: Yeah. <laughs> hey,
2: but
0: thanks,
6: very thank, thank Thank you. you. Cheers. Well,
3: I'm sure we can all agree that was bloody brilliant.
6: Well, just
4: one more thing before we go to questions. I, I know we thanked him on board there, but a huge thank you to Ed and Blackers there for um, pulling out all the stops to get us on board. Oh. and. They went way above and beyond as well with the uh, with the tour of the carrier getting out onto the flight deck and everything. And right now, as we speak, they are somewhere in the North Atlantic, probably sailing through the remnants Ooh. of uh, of the hurricane yeah. um, you- as well. So you know, everything we've talked about is fully in perspective now with those guys doing yeah. their jobs on board.
3: Well, 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 well. Do you remember? Do you remember um, them telling us they had a small problem with with the carrier? Do you remember that? The small problem was they wanted to test it in high seas, and uh, they couldn't find seas high enough to adequately, well, to to move it adequately enough to test it.
4: Yeah, that's right because they'd gone to the highest sea states they could find, and she still didn't
3: shift. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a humble brag to me, but anyway.
4: <laughs> oh, we're introducing humble brag onto this as well. Uh, exactly right. Um, You're definitely crossing the streams.
3: Yes. Uh, yeah, actually before we go into um no actually let's not do that. Let's just go straight straight into questions. God hit me with some questions, please. Right.
4: Now I'm just scrolling through to find a particular question. Um it was Ian Savage, who came up with he was straight back there, friend of the pod. Um which I think is a really good question, and crosses definitely our favorite um subject here. Would you have fancy trying to land a Spitfire with its narrow landing gear onto an aircraft carrier?
3: Yes. <laughs> Would that be before or after you won the, the won the Red Bull Air Race? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you know, right.
4: I, I was let's, let's go back to the banana boat carrier. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I was talking to a mate down at uh, Headcorn, He'd operated Corsairs and Seafires, and he did. I think he said 115 landings he'd done. Hang on, which and, Corsair? Yeah, no Corsair and Spitfire Seafire. And I kind oh, of wow. went, oh, mate, I bet the uh, I bet the Corsair was so much better because it had wider gear. You know, it was uh, more sort of suited for it. But it did have a very long nose. But essentially, he was, he was just a brilliant dude. He went, no, nah, they were all right. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he was so, you know, just chilled about it. He went, you know, he absolutely had to do curved approach and kind of nail the speed. And you, you really... Looked at the mates with uh, with battens to tell you if you were high or low. You know that's how they they kind of used to signal it. But he he said he goes, you know, uh, the spit wasn't such a nightmare as you thought it would be. But you know, for us having flown it, thinking of landing that thing on something that's wobbly, that's moving, that's tiny, that you've got to nail it and hit a cable, you know. I absolutely beg his belief i think that you know that is extraordinary what those boys did but uh yeah, he was uh, he was cool about
4: it yeah I, I tell you what i'd give it a go just because my landings couldn't have been any worse than the ones on a large concrete runway didn't I? <laughs> <laughs>
3: um
4: right here's a good one actually charlie uh, charlie leon lion um what thoughts do you guys have on the hawker Hunter incident back in 1968, flown by Alan Pollock in protest against the MOD for not recognising the 50th anniversary of the Royal Air Force? Did it, he
2: he threw to under Tower Bridge. Yeah,
4: he, yeah. Threw, he threw between the struts on Tower Bridge. <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah. Um, I, so, move. Just a quick question. What's the punishment for that? Uh, he- that must I have been his last trip, wasn't
5: it? Yeah, I think he got uh, I don't know whether he, I don't I don't think he went to jail, did he? But uh, you probably would nowadays, wouldn't
2: you? I would be m ama- you'd, you'd be fl-
4: shot down by a typhoon on the way there.
3: Yeah. Well I mean no,
4: you'd be flying yeah, but the, the typhoon. Typhoon
3: would be a typhoon doing it, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. You'd be chased be by be other d- typhoons. Decent race. Oh that'd look that'd be good, wouldn't it? Your typhoon being chased by subsequent typhoons as you protest the lack of anniversary celebrations for the RAF.
4: I mean, the uh, what uh, the French movie that we talked about recently with the Mirages in it lays... Le, uh, the one with the amazing Cheval, Cheval, Chevalier du Siecle. Chevalier du Siecle. Yes. It, uh, the, uh, the Knights of the Sky. That's exactly that, isn't it? Someone's stolen a black Mirage and is a baddie, and the good Mirages are chasing it around the place.
3: <laughs> ah. I mean, that can't last for too long, because once you run out of fuel, you run out of fuel. Um, I'll tell you
4: what. So what are my thoughts on it? Flippin' he must have been cross to <laughs> to do that. Cross
5: um, or mad? Um, you know, and I don't mean mad angry. I mean, like, mad.
2: i am t- tell you, it's a, it's a pretty... Having, you know, all of us flown over London, the, the Thames, it's quite bendy, isn't it? You know, it's not <laughs> like you can line up and have a nice little aim at it for a while. He must have... That is some flying to... To get it, I mean, it's got to be twenty foot or something to get a hunter down that low on the Thames. It's, it's. I mean, that's, he went that's, through that's above wise.
5: the road but below the the tower bit. You know, he didn't go yeah. underneath the road bit.
2: It's no, that'd be more impressive.
5: Oh no, I'm not taking away <laughs> from him, but I'm just, you know, <laughs> but but yeah, he went between the two. But
4: no, I I do. Absolutely. It, it kind of feels like he wasn't thinking straight just to peel off and go and do that because he was cross. But then he came back
3: and landed at his home airfield. So my my thought on this, right, is that this was a dare of some sort and the protest was retrospective. So once he'd got caught, it's like, right, you need a damn good excuse to, to be flying underneath Tower Bridge. Uh, what about the anniversary of the RAF? OK, you're not good. Uh, you're not going to jail. That's how I see this unfolding, rather than he's protesting, rather than it's a pre-planned protest.
5: There's a picture on one squadron of, of the very event, because it was a one squadron hunter. So, um, and uh, yeah, so there's a picture on the squadron uh, of the hunter flying, uh, you know, under the arch of the bridge. Do
2: we, do we know what happened to her? That is one that we need to find out.
5: Can you get, we, we might. We'll have to perhaps have a, a bit of a, a Google fest. And, he seems uh, to have
2: achieved his. He seems to have
3: achieved his goal, though, doesn't he? Because if it was a truly shameful event, it would not be on the wall of one squadron. Well,
4: no, so I mean, it's I guess, pretty famous, though, and, and they had to do a painting because there were no pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I,
3: I guess, I guess the moral of this story is: if you're currently flying in the RAF and you want, you know, fame for forevermore, go fly over Tower Bridge. You know, it's probably good, not the
4: soundbite that God
3: has wanted. Uh, good <laughs> suggestion, JB.
4: Yeah, maybe don't do that if you're
3: in the Royal Air Force
0: and you're listening to this pod.
3: <laughs> no, no, that's the official line, right? I so your official, li- your official line is... official line is. Oh, have you? So your official line is, yeah. don't do it. The unofficial line is, you'll you'll then buy a painting of that event. <laughs> <laughs>
4: no, so they, they, so did, hang on. they did.
3: So to sum in. up, the, uh, the official
5: line is, don't do it. The unofficial line is...
4: Do no. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it said in the immediate aftermath of the incident his unit, blimey, was posted to North Africa without him while he remained on a charge. Alright, I've got you. There he you. was subsequently invalided out of the RAF on medical grounds. This avoided a court-martial in the embarrassment of the government of Pollock giving a reason for his stunt and perhaps receiving the support of the public.
5: Like I said, um, I think he was properly mm, mad, sir. Yes, <laughs> yeah.
3: yes, quite excellent stuff that's a
4: great question it's uh, it is worth mentioning in fact i'm just going to read this out on the 5th of april 68 pollock decided on his own initiative talked about that to mark the occasion of the raf anniversary with an unauthorized display his flight left the soon-to-be-closed raf tangmere in sussex to turn to west raynham in uh, norfolk a route that took him over london immediately after takeoff pollock left the flight and flew low level having beaten up dunsfold Aerodrome. Hawker's home airfield. He then took his Hawker under FJ-9 single-seater, crowned a cheque jet over London, circled the Houses of Parliament three times as a demonstration oh against Prime Minister Harold Wilson's government, dipped his wings over the Royal Air Force Memorial on the embankment and finally flew under the top span of Tower Bridge. <laughs>
3: <laughs> can, you, can you imagine going rogue in F-16 wow. around the White House three times? Wow. Uh, now, just a lead on from this. Is that picture of a hawk Hunter flying through the hangar legitimate? Oh yeah, is it really? I wasn't. I, is I wasn't a hunter sure. A jaguar. I think it's a Hunter. Like... I think the Jaguar There's came.
5: There's a few in... very good pictures, particularly in Oman, where uh, I, I, I don't think the rules were. I mean, the rules weren't quite as uh, as tight back in the in the 50s um, in the UK, but in Oman, I'm not sure there were any rules. Um, and there's pictures of Jaguars at l- l- quite literally three feet, you oh. know, and and going through hangars and that sort of stuff.
4: Well, did so, you see the um, flogger video that I posted that I tweeted yes, the other day? Yes, I saw it. See oh my, if you God, spent a little less time on Twitter. Six. Inches above the ground in this thing, doing about 600 knots across an airfield. So, uh,
3: it's impressive. What well, what kind of breakdown in sort of discipline has to happen before? A fighter jet is flown through a hangar. I
4: mean, well, I will refer you to when Dunk was talking about beards at the beginning
3: of the <laughs> podcast. He said, "I can't quite remember the rules." I tell you what? Is it, there, there is a lesson there. It starts with beards.
4: <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna
2: see a prefect in two weeks time throughout upside
4: down so, so jb here's an interesting point or i find it interesting the other boys are just gonna take the mickey out of me but um someone was asking me about uh you know why do people have to salute the flag on the station commander's car okay. and uh, it, it and one of the things is there's a great phrase. It's the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. So when I was a station commander, you'd see people walking along the road, and you'd kind of see them. And you'd go, come on, son. You can salute. Go on. You know, oh, you didn't. So I'd stop the car. Oh, no. I'd reverse back. And I thought about this before I did it for the first time. But I didn't just sound, you know, shout out of the window, what are you doing? You're supposed to salute me because it's all about me. To me, the point was, that was the one thing that I knew that they had to do when I drove past. And if they didn't do it, what else were they not doing that they were supposed to be doing? And I was telling this story on a course, and this guy said, uh, I think it was Van Halen, um, on their rider, used to say that, right, we want a, uh, you know, a big jar, big, big thing, full of whatever, brown M&Ms. Oh, like, I
3: you know, know this. I, I, I was telling this story. Literally the other day, literally on Saturday, yeah. gone. And so they they
4: pitch up, and there's a yellow M M&M and M in there. That's it. Not. They're going to throw the teddies out of the cot. They then ordered a full structural survey of the of the place that they were uh, were playing in because. It was about attention to detail and it's funny what got to me there was your point about beards it all starts with beards and so on operations it's easy for standards to slip because you're on ops you know big moustaches going but there still is a reason to have that discipline because as soon as it starts slipping that's when you get people flying through hangars and stuff like that because it's just the next step
3: yeah i told that exact same story on saturday because i asked in the green room of twickenham when we're doing our uh, our live show where is where is my bowl of brown M&Ms? There you go. Yeah, but uh, the the reason I Did the, they bring re- one? the reason I understood it was because it was a breach of contract. So if they in the contract they would say <laughs> no yellow M&Ms or only yellow M&Ms or only Doritos which are unbroken. So if there was something wrong with the venue or they didn't like it they could walk out because the contract had already been breached by the M&Ms. There you go. But uh,
4: whatever it is, it's about yeah. attention to detail, isn't
3: it? Yeah, it is. Uh, I've just got a rugby one on that, which is um, a player called Jamie Peacock, who played for the longest time in in rugby league. And his thing to the to the kids to the academy lads is you always touch touch the cone. So you're sprinting between two cones. You always step to the cone or over it, because he did a little calculation, which is if you were a yard short short of that cone, and you had you know tw- twenty sprints, and then you know you'd be doing that multiple times a week, over, over, over multiple months, over multiple years, how much work have you missed out? How, how much does that attention to detail co- cost you? And it's a good point. Yeah, that's a very good point.
0: Let's see, look at
3: that.
4: Right, we, probably because with the interview, we've been going for about three and a half hours A now. million years. Um, yeah, a million years. Uh, here's a good one. And I, I, I do want this to be the subject of the next podcast. But watching the Top Gun, this is from Nick Blakeow. Watching the Top Gun 2 trailer and Tom Cruise isn't wearing gloves when flying the F-18. And I noticed there's a trend among pilots of cutting off the fingers of gloves and of uh, using the switches in flight. Is this safe? How do you touch screens in the F-35 if the pilot is wearing gloves? Now, I think I did a little thing on Twitter about this because um, I noticed exactly that and, and mentioned uh, someone uh, – oh, no, it was, I think it was on the ITV program that one of the American guys had cut the end of the finger off of, the, off of his glove. The The guys that I flew with, a lot of the guys in the F-16, used to cut the fingers off of button-pressing parts of the glove. And that was a factor of the U.S. Air Force flying glove being this big sort of thick green – Um, You know, like the sort of, uh, not a mitten, but, you know, a big old thick glove that you'd want to go outside. Whereas the RAF flying glove that the three of us have worn forever is so soft and smooth. (laughs) You don't need to do anything with that in order to, you know, be able to feel all the buttons. That's Harki's face. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very much like
3: it. (laughs) Exactly.
4: Well, I mean, what do you think, boys? Parker, you, you must have... I don't know what the... I guess the Dutch guys flew with the American gloves. Did you ever fly with them? I couldn't. I, I didn't like them at all.
2: Yeah, I guess sort of back... In the day, I learned but it, that was on sort of aircraft where you did not need it. But the... You're right, the sort of... The, the big displays in the Typhoon, I tended to... I don't know why. I, I would not wear my gloves until literally just before take off. So, doing most of the sort of messing around with the kits, I just preferred not wearing them. But... Uh, it was okay, wasn't it, with the uh, with the RAF gloves? But
4: um, I never, get... I, I never took my gloves off. Didn't like it. Uh,
2: no, I, mean, I tend to not fly with gloves so much
4: now, but that's because I'm old. <laughs> hey, oh, uh Dunk. Anything to add on gloves? Nothing at all.
3: What you got? No hot glove <laughs> chat whatsoever.
4: <laughs> right, so Weird. here's one, and I'm going to give you some advertising here, Dunk. But this is from Lisa Harding. Um friend of the pod is uh, which by the way, did you see any of other things on twitter? I think it's a particular program that does some sort of Time lapsey, so there was a picture of a hot start and a spitfire with the oh yes, um, yes, yes, yes the yes. flames coming out, and then but the clouds moving over the top, so it was like a moving photo. Fo- ah, oh, it was flipping. Don't say it's a video, a moving photo. There was a particular <laughs> way. <laughs> is this like synchronized walking? Yeah, it's, actually, it's like it's synchronized walking. <laughs> but these are fangled
5: so nice moving photos.
4: <laughs> I love this actually. The fact that
3: that YouTube, eh?
4: <laughs> Look, I got it in there before you boys. You
3: did, well done.
4: Is the Mason, I love the fact you are called the Mason, like the Donald, looking forward to his grilling at the Petwood Hotel on the 28th of September for the John Egging Trust? And is he bringing Parkey for backup?
5: Well, I am looking forward to it. It'll be great. Um, but, you know, I'm, uh, we're talking about John Egging Trust, which is a charity close to all of our hearts, I know, because John uh, l- lost his life, um, sadly, when Goddard and I were down at Bournemouth displaying. And, uh, um, and the, the charity that's been set up by his wife in his name does some fantastic work. So I'm actually organising a bicycle ride, um, which is a week on Sunday so I've got that to sort of concentrate on first. But then a week later, then, is the uh, the event at the Petwood, which I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to. I haven't really, as per usual, these things, and I'm, God, as I'm sure you're just the same, I, I haven't really thought very much about what I'm going to say. I think... Uh, just get out there and dit on, much as we do now. And uh, and, and you know, I, I think the grilling side of things, as you say, the questions are actually the most interesting part, aren't they? Because you can interact a little with the audience, yeah. and at least they're asking you the questions that they want to hear the answer to. So, um, no, I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be great.
4: Yeah, I, I um, did exactly that up at RF Cosford um, la- uh, two weekends ago. Drove yeah. up there, and uh, I'm as reasonable turnout it was about eighty or ninety people, and I ditted on about flying on uh, BBMF some of the stories there and uh, we had some great questions and answers in there. It was brilliant. Any jokes? Some jokes? Um, yeah, I, I told lots of jokes. Um not going to tell you then. Because, exactly right. Uh, classified. Um, but uh, I think I that we should big... just say, we should just say before
5: we move any further, because we have sort of given God as a bit of a hard time about the jokes uh, this evening, but he is in my experience, the master of pulling out a joke on the spot. He knows like a billion <laughs> of them. Um, Much like Parky can remember all sorts of paraphernalia about different aeroplanes, Goddard's can pull out a joke on the spot. And sadly, he shied away from it this evening. But, um, you know, I I think we should uh, try and just encourage him one last time. Come on, give us your best joke. Come on, give us a good one. What
4: what bees make milk? Go on. Boobies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Excellent.
4: uh, I was going to say on this particular point that um the reason i saw jb on saturday is because jb in his other life his main life of uh, the egg chasers podcast had done a live show at twickenham um i listened to that the other day and it was just saying to jb before we started it was flipping brilliant you know and it sounded like the interaction with the audience and everything that you did there jb was really good we had talked about with lisa possibly doing one. We need to get on and do this. I'd love to do a live pod just before. I would love to do it. We
5: will. It will definitely happen probably sometime in 2025, I would imagine. (laughs) I'd say so,
3: yeah. We (laughs) we definitely will get there. When our diaries clear up a bit, 2025. Um, Okay, well, before we end this, I I just want to add at least one other thing. Um, Me and Goddard's ended up... Goddard's nine. Yes, thank you. Uh, you, Ended up getting interviewed... By a magazine called Wings. I was wondering, have um, have, have you seen Wings? Have you been in, be, been interviewed by uh, by them yet? Who me? Yes. Well, both of you. Oh, you you're both you both meant much. to be interviewed by, by now. Uh, no, no one's. Uh, well, I, I haven't heard from them. Well, the
4: re- <laughs> they, the re- they're going to be in touch. These guys are amazing.
3: Yes, that's the, that's the point. If you like this uh, po- uh, this podcast, you're going to love. This magazine, me and Goddars were lucky enough to meet the guys that do it. It's basically a labour of love. Just, it is the magazine version of what we are doing, and uh, just mighty impressive guys. So if you get the chance and you want to have a look at the uh, the magazine Wings, I think it's on. It will be third edition soon, and there'll be an interview with me, Goddars, and actually you two, but you don't know about it yet. Right.
4: (laughs) Um, Yeah, the guys were brilliant. Um, It was. I was just so impressed about a guy who was passionate about doing something, uh, got off his bum, um, has tried to do it on a shoestring, but it's an amazing magazine, you know, real beautiful photographs in there as well. Um, Just fantastic.
3: Yeah. Um, I would add this as well. We did it at Biggin Hill. Now, Biggin Hill seems like the most illegal facility that I've ever seen. I imagine if you were going to... Fly in illicit uh, a contraband. Biggin Hill would be the place to do it. It just has that feel, that overall feel.
4: That's because that's probably the first sort of private airfield you've ever been to, isn't it?
3: Yeah. I was like, wow. Because you're
4: used to massive security in (laughs) – Yeah. uh, That's that's exactly what it is. Plus, you know, I I just – I grew up near Biggin Hill. I love being at that place. There's so much history in that place.
5: Yeah. And I know what you mean, though. I mean, all of us went to do our um, officer uh, selection at Biggin Hill – so it's got a special place probably for us, you know, right at the, the very start of our career. So we've got that. But of course, all of the Battle of Britain history and of course, the fact that we then flew in there on the Battle of Britain memorial flight, you, you know, uh, big and how definitely has a, a very special place, I think, in all of our hearts. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can say. Um, and uh, But I do know what you mean, JB. I'd never really thought of it like that. It's interesting, the sort of persona that you sort of, you're, you're sort of now, you know, morphing into. I can't and thought well JB just plays rugby but it's more uh, about sort of spying um, and Vlad the, uh, <laughs> the, the handler and do you know I'm, I'm re- reading a book at the moment and part of the book was um, a, um, a weapons dealer selling, um, <laughs> selling two SG31s to North Korea and, and uh, you sprang to mind I don't know why that would be
3: <laughs> I, I mean if you know anywhere <laughs> which I can get an SG31 please let me know uh, and do you know where I'd <laughs> find from? Biggin Hill
4: Well, if you look at – I know where you've seen it before, JB, and this was probably subliminal, but it's Biggin' Hill in – what's that Dan Brown movie? um, Oh, uh, uh, Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code? Yes. So in the Da Vinci Code, when they fly from Europe, Paris, to um, Biggin' Hill, uh, to England, they land at Biggin' Hill, and when they're doing the shenanigans with the car and getting them out of the aeroplane quickly, Tom Hanks and the – um, and the other guys, it is, it's filmed there in the hangars out the back
3: ah. so that's probably
4: what you're thinking of so before what they the police do, get there
3: So what they do there, have you seen the bit where they buy the train tickets with their credit cards because they know they're, they're going to tra- uh, trace the credit cards and then they do, 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 do something else classic bit of mis- misdirection that oldest trick in the book
4: There, there you go
5: uh I have got a request could the could uh, all of Goddess's um Twitterati followers just encourage him to spend just a tiny bit less time on Twitter and then he can put the um he can put the Duxford podcast out which yes. he did we did a load of really good stuff so, It's sat there it's languishing on
4: his
3: phone you get just, finger
4: out air 23 commodore it's a slack moment yeah.
3: if you're interested in twitter threads which are not Goddess's twitter thread uh check out uh, there's a defense a Twitter, can't remember. God, us all well know what it is. Who do the most interesting threads on things like cable ties and shipping containers? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a weird man. JB. Think, think defense is it? Yeah, I was about to say, is it think defense? Yeah. Honestly, read their threads about things like um cable ties. You you will be astonished. Astonished. Think defense is, think defense is a very good one. actually. And bridges, and how to transport shit. It's, just, it's amazing. Right, there we go. Done. Uh, follow us on, on Twitter at Pilot Episodes Pod. You won't find us on Facebook because we're not there. And uh, we might do a live podcast one day from somewhere near you, but maybe not. Uh, until then, um, we will come up with another date and probably have another podcast maybe ne- uh, next month. So, from me, Dunk, and Parky, goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. And we're out. Well done. <laughs>